Blog Talk Radio. Nowadays, there's a lot of talk about hate crimes. There's an entire body of laws against hate crimes. Everybody seems to be worried about hate. Hate appears to be the gravest problem of our time. But hate is good. Hate gives a structure to our life. Hate gives us a reason to exist, a focus, something to strive for, an identity. Hate is energy, pure energy, provided by Mother Nature herself. Hate enables us to see through lies and pretense, and helps us to concentrate on the essential. Hate is democratic. Even the rich and the powerful cannot hate more than their slaves and subjects. And soon, hate may well be all that we have left. Hate emancipates. Without hate for slavery, you cannot break your shackles. And without hate for injustice, there can be no justice. The greatest achievements of the human race have grown from hate, and from the ability to control hate. Hate separates humans from animals. Animals do not hate, but humans do. Humans can hate for decades, sometimes their entire life. We can even pass hate on to our children and keep hate alive for centuries. Hate is a sign of abstract intellect, for only humans can hate people they have never seen or met, and only humans can hate concepts and processes. How can we know what love is? if we refuse to recognize and understand hate. Love and hate are the two opposite sides of the same coin. Without hate, we are only halflings. In order to be complete, we need hate. Only fools talk endlessly about love, but forget the hate. Hate separates us from the meek and docile masses. Do not fear hate. Do not deny or reject hate. Accept hate. Embrace hate. Learn to know it and learn to use it. Hate is your most powerful weapon, a hidden source of your strength. Do not deny it from you. What the liberal elite fears most in this world is our ability to hate, because our hate will one day be the most revolutionary force on the planet. Our hate will destroy and create empires. You're listening to Resolution Radio, Radio, Radio. ResolutionRDO.com They are coming. Coming for us all. Unstoppable force of men forged into iron with the fires and machinery of war. Driven before them are those who betray everything beyond a greed, hate, and anger. Do you betray everything and decide to free your hide? Or will you take your best? stand for the fight. Fight for your life, for what is dearest to you, for honor and death. Let your name be worthy of you. But remember, 
the war consume us all. We're going to go ahead and begin at the beginning here. We're not saying anyone should be forced to be pro-white. All we're saying is that whether anyone likes it or not, white people have the right to be pro-white. White people have the right to a sense of racial consciousness, racial identity, and racial pride. We have the right to date, to marry white, and to raise our white children to be pro-white. We have the right to love our own people, and to raise our children to love themselves and their people. And above all else, white people have the right to unify, organize, and fight back against the rising tidal wave of anti-white hatred. Don't like it? Too fucking bad. That's your problem, not ours. The anti-white powers that be want you to believe that you don't have a right to be victorious. They want pro-whites to be defeated, broken, and conquered. But we have no intention of surrendering to their intimidation. Pro-white means supporting whites' rights to a collective sense of racial consciousness, identity, and pride. It means supporting whites' rights to pursue self-determination in our collective racial destiny. Whether anyone likes it or not, the white race has a right to be pro-white. White people don't lack in numbers. What we lack is unity. If we can figure out how to unify, organize, and fight back, show's over. We win. Historically speaking, when white people finally say enough is enough, the entire world trembles beneath our collected footsteps. But a kingdom that has once been destroyed can never come again into being, nor can the dead ever be brought back to life. Carjacking old lady at a red light Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store You think it's cool, act a fool if you like Cut out a cop, spit in his face Stomp on the flag and light it up Yeah, you think it's tough Well try that in a small town See how far you make it down My granddad gave me They say one day They're gonna round up Well that shit might fly in the city Good luck Try that in a small town See how far you make it down the road Around here we take 
are dropping their own crops for the day, a friend is in need and they've come to help. It's what this community and a lot of our communities stand for. Somebody needs some help, you'll get it. to the Resolution Radio Network at ResolutionRDO.com. You are listening to the Sunny Thomas Show, and I'm your host, Sonny Thomas. If you want to call and listen now, it's area code 607-203-5423. It's area code 607-203-5423. You can find us on various social media, all over the place actually right now. We're actually really starting to pick up some space here. I'm, I'm really happy. <laughs> That's actually really good. Um, on Wimkin, Getter, Gab, Twitter, and Telegram at St. Thomas Show, and at Wimkin, Getter, Gab, and Telegram at Resolution RDO, and on Twitter at Resolution RDO and the number one. Definitely working out pretty good there. I'm not too shabby, I must say. And, um, Definitely doesn't suck, that's for sure. So, um, definitely not sucking, that's, that's for sure. So, opening song tonight was Try That in a Small Town uh, from Jason Aldean. And people are kind of like, what the hell, dude? You never played Jason Aldean before. What's up with that shit? Well, there's a reason for that. Um, apparently, he came out with this uh, song back in May. And... Uh, didn't necessarily get too much attention, but their video came out recently, and of course they had to throw a big shit fit about it. So, it, but it backfired on the left. So, liberal single Sheriff Crow gets obliterated after sending snarky, clueless tweet to Jason Aldean over his music video, as "Try That in a Small Town" soars to number one on iTunes. So, let's give you a little example here. Um. Yeah, I thought this was actually pretty cool. So, the song itself actually isn't bad at all. Actually, uh, I, I like it. Um, the video is very, very inspirational, by the way. If you get a chance, to check it up for yourself. Because you're just kind of like, wow, that is good, man. It doesn't suck. Well, of course it doesn't suck. If I say it's pretty good, you know definitely it doesn't suck. So, the bullying of country music star Jason Aldean by the woke left and their corporate allies has officially backfired with one infamous left-wing singer arguably getting the worst treatment. Gateway Pundit previously reported Aldean sent liberals into screaming fits of rage following the release 
um, of his politically incorrect video promoting his single, Try That in a Small Town. Footage in the video features and Antifa thugs burning down major American cities and assaulting law enforcement officials. As Jim Hoff notes, Aldine and his song with our beautiful nation being torn to shreds. Obviously, the lyrics include, well, try that in a small town. See how far the road, because here we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long for you to find out. I recommend you don't. Try that in a small town. The left called this epic video violent and hateful rather than the BLM, BLM Antifa actions or, or footage. Defending your community from violent radicals in the, is the essence of patriotism. As Rowe joined the woke pile on Tuesday, a snarky, clueless tweet lecturing Aldine about his music video. Jason Aldine, I'm from a small town. Even people in small towns are sick of violence. There's nothing small town or American about promoting violence. You should know that better than anyone having survived a mass shooting. This is not American or small town life. It's just lame. And, of course, uh, she was re- responding to another tweet that have been uh, tweeted. What's her uh, Shannon Watts. Jason Aldean, who was on stage during the mass shooting at a Las Vegas concert 2017 that killed 60 people and wounded over 400 more, has recorded a song called Try That in a Small Town about how he and his friends will shoot you if you try to take their guns. Uh, God's damn right. Not surprisingly, Americans absolutely obliterated Crow following her stupid tweet. This is actually from Jack Versobic. I thought this was great. Hi, Cheryl Crow. I looked at where you were from. They voted, they voted for Trump by 80%. Dunkling County, Missouri, politics voting history. They voted for Trump 78.808%. <laughs> The last time Sheryl Crow was relieved, Bill Clinton was showing Monica Lewinsky his cigar collection. <laughs> uh, cry more, Lib. Hey, Cheryl, when you're done virtue signaling, move on to rap music. Enlighten us with the peacefulness of some of those lyrics. Wow. Hey, sis, give it a rest and make more McDonald's videos. I'm sorry, this is happening to you. <laughs> the small town you're from is okay with carjacking? The news got even worse for leftists, though. Try That in a Small Town has skyrocketed to number one on the iTunes, following country music television's cowardly decision to pull the epic video from the channel. Even Lauren Boebert tweeted out, The iTunes charts have spoken. Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town is number one. Whenever they try and censor us, we only go stronger. Time for CMT to get the Bud Light treatment. Amen, sister. Aldine's classic song has also nearly 2 million views on YouTube at the moment. Click below to boost those numbers further. So I watched the video. I actually thought it was very well done. Uh, it was very tastefully done. And it was filmed at a, um, in a, in a town in Tennessee. So, uh, yeah, definitely thought that was pretty, pretty sweet. So um, as I was uh, doing this, actually, I had posted. And... Uh, I actually had a pretty good uh, response to that. Hang on one second here. Get to my profile. Yes, replies. Yeah, um, I had a pretty good uh, thing today. Hang on one second. Da, 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 da. Yes. 
I have posted, actually, Kevin Sorbo have, have posted, Jason Aldean's newest single, Try That in a Small Town, is offensive, so we won't play that. Up next, <laughs> Wet Ass Pussy by Cardi B, right? So I thought that was pretty good. So I, I actually responded to that as well as retweeted that in, from Kevin Sorbo. I said, actually impressed by song and video. I wasn't a fan of Jason Aldean, but he is spot on here. Thumbs up. Talk about this all the time on my show. There are certain rules that apply in our neighborhoods. You break them, you get a reality check. This song reminded me of Johnny Cash's Ragged Old Flag. So actually, the same type of patriotism that you expect, that, especially in that clip there where we talked about the show of guy in the wheelchair. It says, yeah, you know, when you're, when you're down, man, pe- your neighbors will come and help you out. And that's true in small towns. In some of these cities, not so much. However, anyone knows me personally, knows I'm the first guy that will go and help a complete stranger out when they need help or something happens and something's really, I'm the first on the scene running towards the danger, not running from it. Um, and, and a lot of people could testify that, that yes, man, that's just kind of how Sonny is, you know? Uh, now I am the type of person that one of my ex girlfriends used to tell me all the time, you know, your biggest problem is you go and help people, but whenever you do a service, you should always make sure you put $5 in your pocket. I get it. So I've even had family members. I say, you know, I'll go over and help you ship, but you got, you know, besides uh, paying for parts or whatever, I'm going to ask you for a very small amount of money just to cover my expenses a little bit. You know, I, I, I don't care if it's just 10 bucks, man. That way, you know, and if you want to buy me, if you want to give me dinner or some other shit, great. At least get some sort of compensation out of it for my time. Because I'm the type of person I would just give my time away if I knew it would help people. But in the long run, that doesn't help my bottom line. But the same stroke, man, we have to start looking out for each other. Like I've mentioned on the show many times before, we are at the point where we have to really start looking out for each other as whites. If not, we're screwed. So that's my biggest issue is uh, we really got to start looking out for each other. I mean, help each other out, man. I mean, I've had a lot of folks – um, where I'm at now where I just, you know, I've gotten to know some cool folks, man, and some of them come and go, but at least we try to look out for each other. And actually, I've made some pretty good buddies. So I can't complain um, to the point where at least I can say, hey, man, I broke down on the side of the road. Can, can you help me out? Without hesitation, cool, I'll be there, man. So, I mean, like I said, that's the way it needs to be. We need to have camaraderie with each other because if not, I mean, it's just the way it is. It has to be. So, like I said, the, the – title of tonight's show is Try This in My Town and See What Happens. Also, our guest is Russell James. He returns to updates on his website, uh, the Colchester Collection, as well as some other sites that he has as well, and just to get his take on uh, current events and things from his worldview, because I always enjoy hearing his uh, point of view. Um, I follow him a lot on Gab and uh, at One Based Brother, and uh, he always has some very, very good fucking rebuttals or just overall talking points, really promoting our people. So here's a guy that's put his ass on the line as well, standing up for what's right. And I'm sure he would totally agree with the opening intro um, on the show, that's for sure. So we're going to get his take on um, this particular thing. I don't know if he's seen the the, uh, Jason Aldean video or heard the song, uh, but uh, it's definitely worth checking out, Russell, because I know you're in queue. Uh, Get a chance, check that song out, man. It's, It's actually inspired. Matter of fact, when it got to the point where the guy was talking about, you know, if you are if you need help, people will come. 
Uh, it brought a little bit of a tear to my eye, man, because it was like, dude, that's what it's all about, and that's why they're attacking the video. It's not because they're showing the violent scenes and this, that, and the other. It's that. It's us having some sort of unity. So I talk about this all the time here on the show, that simple fact that in in our own neighborhoods, there are certain rules that apply, especially where I grew up in the East End, man. There's just some things you just don't do to someone's house, their property, or even worse, their family. You know, you don't go skidding your bicycle in the fucking yard. I mean, everyone always knows about the old guy starting to come out there where he's starting to let that sock dangle and maybe letting his bathrobe hang open a little bit to go get his paper. And he's like, fuck you, little bastards. You know, get out. Don't get, you know, don't skid in my grass. You know, some of us look at that and kind of make fun of these old guys and shit. But you know what? Consider for most people, having that house and having that yard is the only thing they have to real tangible property. And the worst part of it is, most of them probably don't even own it. And I don't mean that their mortgage isn't paid off. It's because they got screwed on their deeds. So I've mentioned here before to make sure that you check out um, here on Resolution Radio. As a matter of fact, I got a little little uh, bragging rights today. Um, an episode of Kate Daly that we featured on here where she's um, – with Ron Gibson, Learn the Truth About Land Ownership, uh, you can find on here on Resolution Radio on the Kate Daly Show for uh, May 28th. Definitely, definitely worth watching that. Anyone who has any land, any property, you must watch this because to find out if you don't, you think you got your shit paid off 20, 30 years down the road, find out, oh, you just own the buildings on it. You don't own the fucking land. And it's because they took that from us. But something as simple as knowing what documents to look for, you can reclaim that lost right. So those are things you definitely want to go check out um, on there. So Kate had seen my repost, and um, I actually got a um, uh, got a like on that, and um, she started following me as well. So thank you very much, Kate Daly. I appreciate it. And I also sent her a shout-out, said, uh, you know, Kate Daly Radio – Really enjoy your con- uh, content, Kate. Been listening since you joined Alex's Fourth Hour. And thank you so much for having my friend Harold Zeger on. He really knows what it's like to live under communism. His second book is out now as well. And she said, thank you, Sonny, and gave me some heart. So uh, very much a tip of the hat to Kate Daly for uh, recognizing that. And I really, really enjoy her and her point of view. And um, hopefully maybe someday I might be able to have her on as a guest. But I've had a lot of great activists, guests, uh, just normal people on Twitter that I've found that really got their shit together, who got their pulse on what's really going on, and are speaking out, and not afraid to, uh, you know, call it as it is. I mean, everyone knows my show, that's what I do. You know, you don't like it, that's your fucking problem, get over it. But the point is, is that we're making sure we're talking about these issues, because on the First Amendment, that's the very right that we do. If you haven't seen it yet on InfoWars, I posted a link on there. Bobby, uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. was at Congress um, on the issue of uh, government censorship, and the Democrats censored him. <laughs> I, I shit you not. And it's because he made a statement of that's basically what he's seen from, the, uh, from reports that he had read, that the COVID-19 virus doesn't seem to affect Ashkenazi Jews or Chinese. Instantly, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Always guaranteed every time that fucking ugly ass kite. God, she got the ugliest fucking hair I've ever seen. 
She had to go jump out there and go, oh, you're making the nice statements. Then, of course, he starts kind of going to say, everybody knows that I've that always been friends with Israel. I've never made any Semitic statements, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, I just want to cut off his fucking, uh, you know, his fucking donors, right? <laughs> so, you know, I, I think he's a good alternative. But if anything, he's shown just how bad the Democrats have come to, to trying to protect usurper Biden by making sure he can't debate. So apparently there are, uh, some of the first GOP debates are coming up uh, next month, and Trump has decided whether he's going to be able, if he's going, yeah, if he's going to be able, if he's not even going to bother to debate that debate, the fact that he's so far ahead, there's no reason for him to debate. But if he gets indicted, there may be a possibility he may be doing a debate from behind jail doors. I don't know, man. This sure is fucking going to put him on the house arrest, that's for sure. Okay, so um, so that's just a quick break. I want to bring on uh, Russell James. Again, he has an excellent, excellent website at the Colchester Collection at colchestercollection.com. And um, it, is a, it is an Aryan repository of a lot of great literature, and not just classical works per se, but also a lot of activists in thought-out works, whether it's by Sutton, whether it's by Rockwell, whether it's by Ford, or even the Fuhrer, Chancellor Hitler. There are links on there in different formats, different ways to view it or purchase it. He's spent a lot of time on this thing, making sure that he's got his um, bases covered so we have a nice repository for all of us to be able to go to and find uh, what we want on this particular thing I actually looked for some of the Sutton stuff and I and I didn't find the book I was looking for but I found two other books that he has and I uh, was able to download those on PDF and so I've got them now in my archives so thank you very much Russell for that and uh, looking forward to uh, definitely looking at some more artists as well all right we'll be back right after these brief messages and uh, touch base with Russell James and I encourage you also to check out many other programs here on the Resolution Radio Network because we do a lot of time to make sure that we feature a lot of great content and we're starting to add to the listings. So we'll be back right after these brief messages. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest price filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. May the blessing of tear be upon you. Are you a native son or daughter of the South who pleads the stars and bars? Someone not born in Dixieland, but who is a Johnny Reb at heart and looking for a place to shop that promotes Southern heritage? Well, your search is over. Dixie Republic is the place to go for all things celebrating the Confederacy and promoting Southern pride. Inside the log cabin just outside Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, Dixie Republic has t-shirts, hats, videos, flags, books, belt buckles, and some of the best mouth-watering barbecue sauce that will ever touch your lips. There's just about everything you want honoring the South at Dixie Republic. Well, you say that South Carolina is a bit too far for you to drive? Have no fear, my friend. 
All of this is just a mouse click away. Go online at www.dixierepublic.com, your home for all things celebrating the Confederacy and promoting Southern pride. You've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family. You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover SelfDefenseFund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. You're listening to Resolution Radio Radio. You're listening to The St. Thomas Show with St. Thomas on ResolutionRDO.com. Call in or listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest price filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. Hi, this is Ron Paul. I am a former congressman, physician, and presidential candidate. The world is in turmoil. Things like Ebola, earthquakes, wars, and famines are commonplace. As Americans, we are largely sheltered from these events. However, in parts of the world, just having enough food is a huge problem. For some of us, there is the nagging thought that we may not always have it so good. So we keep some food on hand just in case. My family and I have found a product that helps us do this better. It's a home freeze dryer from Harvest Right. With it, we eat healthier and store a little more food. We freeze dry everything we love to eat, and it lasts up to 25 years. Who knows what the future will bring? One thing's certain, my family and I will always have food on the table. To learn more, go to HarvestRight.com or call 800-763-5999. That's HarvestRight.com or 800-763-5999. And not only you have food on the table, but be having your gun and ammo right next to it. Welcome back to the Resolution Radio Network at ResolutionRDO.com. This is the St. Thomas Show, and I am he, Sonny motherfucking T. If you want to call in or listen now, it's area code 607 203 Five four two three. That's area code six zero seven two zero three five four two three. My next guest is no stranger to this program, Russell James, on um, Gab at One Based Brother. 
Um, it has an excellent repository of uh, excellent works by a lot of our uh, historians, white activists, uh, nationalists, as well as just some classical works that need to be addressed. Uh, I mean, some things, matter of fact, I wouldn't doubt, I haven't looked, but I bet you he's got plenty of links to books by Cicero, who is probably the Republicans, that's for sure. Um, so again, I would definitely go to colchestercollection.com and be able to check out uh, those particular links there on his website. Like I said, he's got a really good thing there as well. You can also go to couple other websites he has. He has um, his blog is, is the foremost problem at stormfront.org slash form slash blogs slash U151910. And also at pro white videos at bitshoot.com slash channel slash television. It's T-A-L-I-E-V-I-S-I-O-N. So, again, you can also find him on Gab at One Based Brother. And uh, he always has some very, very good comments on there as well. So we always enjoy uh, his commentary. And, uh, again, a tip of the hat to him for his dedication to this project because it's laborious. I know when I first started the HMD Music Resource Guide, I spent a lot of time putting on links in there, learning how to build websites, and built a lot of stuff covering a wide range of uh, musical backgrounds and different artists, as well as different resources. And uh, I actually got a lot of accolades for that. But that's pale in comparison compared to what Mr. James has done. So, welcome, Russell. Welcome back to the St. Thomas Show. Hi, Sonny. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, always good hearing you, bro. Like I said, you always have uh, some excellent commentary and. Um, I love how you debate guys on Gab. I mean, some of these guys, you really take them on out to the woodshed and uh, leave them there afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I've always liked to argue. For, so for me, it, it's fun. You know, it, it's energizing. Um, you know, some family members and friends are like, you spend too much time on there doing that stuff. And I'm like, I like doing it, so I'm going to keep doing it. And, and it, you know, we all like to win. And uh, when I – Often when I get into an argument with these guys, uh, especially if they're on our side, if they're pro-white and they're basically decent guys, they just, you know, we just don't agree on some issue. Uh, I'm surprised at how many times they come around to my my way of seeing it. So it's rewarding in that way. Yeah, I, I've found on a, a lot of social media, especially on Twitter, when people try to debate me, I have to give I have to my own horn a little bit. Nine percent of the time, they're going to lose because. Uh, first of all, I don't back down, and as soon as they start trading insults on me, uh, they've already lost the argument. <laughs> I learned that actually from Ann Coulter, so that's actually got some uh, some some reality there. But in the same stroke, you know, I, I might post something like, "Oh, we go like I was posting something on Gab or something, and uh, said something about, "Oh, we got to get back to a nation under God." It's like you mean gods? It said it's it's polytheistic, not monotheistic, and it's like. No, there's only one. It's like, yeah, if you want to be under an Abrahamic religion, go ahead. But I prefer to follow the ones of my ancestors. So, and they said, fuck Israel. And then he says, oh, oh, fuck you and eat your shit or something like that. I was like, go fuck your mother. I almost said, you first, fuckhead. I was like, tell you what, after you fuck your mother, tell me how good it was. And so he said (laughs) something else, and I went right back and got him and nailed him his ass. And he says, "Uh, have a good day or something like that. I said, yeah, I knew you couldn't compete against me fucking wanker so i mean seriously some of these little 
pistards think they can just go up there and, oh, I use a little bit of language. I, I think I showed you. Huh, dude, first of all, I'm more well-versed than you are. And secondly, if I have to prove a point, um, I will post items, uh, historical events, or even links. You can view it yourself. And I've had many people on various channels um, educated on my side. So sometimes I have to go a little bit more of a hard way to do it. But I tell you what, having a well-thumbed page copy of The Art of War by Sun Tzu pays off. Matter of fact, where is my bookmark on this one? Oh, yes. Under the title of Weak Points and Strong. Uh, for example, 23. Rouse him and learn the principles of activity or inactivity. Force him to reveal himself so as to find out his vulnerable spots. <laughs> so, I mean, seriously, that's actually a very good um, book to go by. But um, my biggest issue is right now is we really need to get people to read again because of the fact that I think digital media has really destroyed a lot of things, and, and just kind of go with me on this. Music has really gone downhill the last 20, almost 30 years, and I said for two reasons. One is with, with the compact disc, you've made music almost um, instant gratification. So when you, get a, when you get an album, you can hurry up and go to the track you want or even program that track. It's not like the old days where you and I probably had to go and maybe record a song off the radio or um, – put the same song on, on the same tape on one whole side so I don't have to keep rewinding it. <laughs> Just stupid shit like that, right? And then um, the, 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 the artistry that's lost with cassettes and records is it forces you to listen one side at a time, and some artistry has been made to either if it's a thematic album that maybe each side tells its own story or it's a concept album overall or there's a loose theme. Um, or even in some cases, there's a particular kind of music, and maybe on the flip side, they've totally changed it up. Like maybe side one's all rock and in your face, and the other one's maybe stripped down acoustic. So it's taken away the artistry of a lot of these artists to hear it in which they were originally designed the music. Secondly, with videos and things like that, we had to sit there and watch MTV to wait, our, watch it, wait for our favorite video to come on, whether it was on Dial MTV or on regular rotations, or on some late-night show like Headbangers Ball. Uh, now you can just get on YouTube and watch anything you fucking want anytime you want. You don't have to sit there and wait for some programming for it to click through, um, or even get on YouTube Music now. But the problem is, again, it's instant gratification. So the artistry of listening to a record is gone, I think, in many ways. And I think with books, it's like that, too. Because I really enjoy audiobooks, because... One, I like listening to the actual author read it to me, um, especially if somebody have a really good speaking voice. For example, David McCullough has written a lot of historical books. For example, John Adams, he also has narrated a lot of History Channel documentaries. He has a great speaking voice. So if I want to listen to the book he wrote on John Adams, I feel closer to the author because he's actually telling it to me. Or when I got Sarah Palin's book, Going Rogue, I was actually listening to the audio book because I was able to hear her talk to me. And I've met her twice in person. She I tell you, man, pictures don't do that woman justice as far as appearances, man. She's so much better looking person. And she's really, really cool down to earth. She may be dumb politically, but she's very cool people, man. But a lot of these older books, like what you feature, that don't have any audio books, it's only written at the time it was written. Um, I have a problem with digital media because as we're starting to see – some books are being censored because, oh, we got to go censor Huckleberry Finn just because it has the word nigger in it. Or we're gonna, now that the 
copyright on Mein Kampf has expired, we're going to reissue it in Germany for a very short run, but we're going to take everything out about Jews. Well, hell, that's going to turn that into a fucking Cliff Notes version, you know? Um, and, and now just saw the silent censoring of classic films. I just saw that there was some scenes taken out of uh, the French Connection with Gene Hackman. That some scenes were taken out because of some of the ratio epithets using there and this, that, and the other. So the only way you can preserve those is get an older copy. Make sure you have a hard copy if it's a book and things of that nature. So even the links that you provide, all those links could change in the background. And you have no way of knowing it unless you went and checked it up yourself. That's the that's the danger of having a, a repository like that because you don't actually have a physical library as opposed to a collection of links. So from your perspective, because I know you've put on endless hours on this, brother, how do you feel about that? Because it almost undermines some of the work that you're trying to do because you're trying to put forth these great works, as many of them from a particular author as possible, especially if they're deceased, and to find out that many of those versions are either unavailable or have been censored without anyone knowing about it. Yeah, it does create a lot of work for me. Uh, I'm constantly checking links. Uh, I think there are uh, 3,000 and something uh, outbound links on the site right now. Uh, there's almost 1,800 different books listed, um, and there's as many as four or five links uh, to each book. So a total of, uh, I actually think it's close to 4,000 links. And I check those every month. Fortunately, I have a, a, a link checker to help me with that, to find the broken ones. Uh, but once I find the broken ones, I then have to fix them. Um, I've been pretty lucky with um, always being, or not always, but often being able to find a replacement for them. But it, it is a lot of work. Um, I spend probably two or three hours a month just on you know checking links and fixing the broken ones. Um, but as far as uh, online repositories go, um, I'm keen on them for, for a couple of reasons. Um, one... It, it's so much more convenient, and people today love their convenience. It's, it's hard to reach people if, if you're not making things convenient for them. Uh, I'd like to see that change, and, and I'm trying to play my role in changing that. I'd like people to slow down and, and be more thoughtful and be more serious and, and not be so concerned about convenience because in, in, in a very major way, um, that that is the problem. We are constantly trading our freedoms for convenience, right? And if enough people do it, uh, they end up effectively doing it for everybody, right? Uh, cell phones are a classic example, right? Everybody has a cell phone today, and fewer and fewer people are on, on uh, computers, for instance. So the entire web is now sort of changing and morphing, and it's becoming easier to use with a cell phone but less effective to use with a computer. I was just talking with a friend of mine the other day about this very thing that we can't, you know, the, the web doesn't have, it, it's harder to access the knowledge. It has more knowledge on it than it used to have, but everything seems to be siloed and, and put into these walled gardens and, and like Facebook, for instance, and now Twitter, of course, aren't even on the open web anymore. You have to have an account to access a lot of the information. Uh, um, yes. You can't just do it as somebody surfing the web. Uh, but I kind of solved the problem with um, it, it being – it's not just a digital archive. It also doubles as an online bookstore to ensure that hard copies of hard-to-find books that are being censored by mainstream booksellers like Amazon will always be available either directly from the publisher or the author or from some boutique seller. 
Yeah, I would definitely encourage, too, if you do have the opportunity to get it for free, great. But that being said, though, just like whether some of these authors are still alive, and for some of them, that's how they make their living, is um, try to purchase whenever possible. Especially if you have the opportunity to purchase directly from the author, I recommend you do that. Uh, another author I recommend to you, Russell, that you definitely want to add to your collection there is Harold Zeger, H-A-R-A-L-D-Z-I-E-G-E-R. Um, he's written two incredible books. One's called Freedom's Nightmare, and he really showcases um, what it was like growing up behind the Iron Curtain because he grew up in uh, East Germany. And uh, he just came out with his second book. Um, I think it's essentially basically uh, not living on my knees. Hang on one second. Um, there we go. Loading up his website. You can go to authorhzier.com. So that's author as in an author, H-Z-I-E-G-E-R.com. And his second book called than living on my knees. So that has just come out recently. And it says, if you can't tolerate evil, you have to walk the road to the end. (laughs) So he had his little bit of awakening um, over there as well. A lot of thanks to his wife. And actually his mother actually connected him to his future wife um, simply because uh, he went to the hospital clinic where she was working at. And he just noticed some blonde hair sticking out at the top of a pillow. I just inquired about, oh, who's that over there? It's like, oh, some, a girl here is, is having some stuff. Done. I was like, oh, cool. So about six months later, all of a sudden, he's at home, and she calls him down. He's like, Harold, come down here quickly. So he, he comes downstairs. He's like, what is it? He's like, oh. Uh, and and, and his, his wife's name actually passed my brain right now. But he just goes, oh, such and such is here. He's like, who is this? He's like, this is the girl you're inquiring about at the clinic. It's like, oh. So they kind of got together, just kind of some time together. Next thing you know, they clicked. She was a um, fairly hardcore Catholic in her own way, I guess. And, uh, boom, they, they worked out. And he said that um, – and, and he married her and still married her to this day. But he said that uh, when he had an opportunity to go back to he, – he managed to escape East Germany in 1985 – because he finally had Austrian citizenship through his father. And even though it took a while to get the stuff going, he was literally able to run to the door, trying to get the hell out with his wife and two kids under under each arm, just as the Stasi's behind him with the arm's length of reach from being able to grab his wife and yank her back in and manage to get through there and then uh, uh, escape to Austria. He said he went to Austria because since he couldn't speak English, he didn't think it was right to burden America with his deficiency. So he spent 20 years in Austria in the process of learning English, finally came over to the United States in 2005, and then um, started speaking out at Tea Party meetings because of the fact that uh, when Super Obama was running, he said, my God, this guy's preaching the very same thing I escaped from. He could clearly see through the bullshit and the fake smile and realize the guy's a flaming red. So um, it says a lot. So, you know, other people encouraged him to write a book. He did. And this is its second printing, and actually, from my understanding, someone's actually in the process of possibly making uh, a movie out of it to just kind of show what it was like to go through his experience over there. So, again, a lot of the people that had lived behind the Iron Curtain really know what's happening, what, what, what things are turning into. They can see it because they lived under it their whole lives until, you know, 1991. So, again, 
when they take the time to write books, we need to read them because many times they are a clarion call and a warning of what's getting ready to happen, especially if they've already gone through a version of it themselves. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'll, I will add his name to my author's list, my book list of books that I'm going to add. But I, are, I have thousands of books in my list that I'm going to add. Hang on, I can't hear you. I'm hoping that, w- that when the archive is done, like I said, it's got about 1,800 books, a little less than 1,800 books right now. Are you there? But I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be around 12,000 books when it's done. Yeah. And that's you know, just a tiny course. fraction Hang on of the second. total. Yep. I have some issues with my computer lately, so let me uh, go in directly here. All right. Let's make this. Okay, can you hear me now? I can. Okay. Can you hear me? For whatever reason, my my board just kind of went muted on me, and I I couldn't hear a damn thing, so I had to call in directly. Okay, so you can hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, all right. Yeah, so I was just saying that, um, you know, that, that the book part of it is just a fraction of, of what the archive is going to be. Eventually, I'm going to morph the, the four sites that I've I've been running for the last 10 or 12 years, I've been building, I guess I should say, into one site called the Aryan Archive. Uh, the Colchester Collection is uh, the book site, and uh, if, you, if, you, if anybody wants to go there, if any of your, your listeners want to go there, it's colchestercollection.com. And you can find the links there to all the other sites and all the ways to contact me and stuff. But the other sites are, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Tallyvision, which is a collection of uh, video channels, and it's got they have they, they act as an archive of about 600 uh, pro-white videos, uh, mostly full-length stuff. I don't do any little clips and stuff like that. They're mostly like uh, either some kind of a presentation, a speech, or something from the past, or even a more modern one. Uh, or interviews, or documentary films, or docu-series. Mm-hmm. And there's even a few uh, public domain movies in there, a little over 100, I think, that that I think you know, our kind of people will enjoy because um, they're they're more white-friendly than, than what you can find today. Uh, another one of the sites is the Patriot Portal, which I'm going to merge into this, this, ar- this Aryan archive. Uh, okay. And that's a, a list of almost 900 uh, pro-white websites, everything from, uh, you know, pro-white people who are uh, like retailers or they're makers of things, they're makers of products. Um, some of the products that they sell are things like uh, you know, the clothing to, to um, bed and bath stuff, jewelry, uh, music books, and, and a bunch of other things. Uh, and I also have um, websites on there. It, it's divided up into 22 different subdirectories. And um, some of the subdirectories are things like advocacy groups, um, political parties, uh, religious organizations, all of which are, of course, pro-white. Uh, there's a professional services, uh, a, a fairly nascent but growing professional services subdirectory that, that right now I think has 15 or 16 different uh, professional service providers, anything from like financial stuff to, to builders and, and, and carpenters, stuff like that, people who can who provide a professional service. Uh, eventually, I'm hoping uh, to merge all of this stuff together into one large website that I call the Aryan Archive, and that's going to have, uh, I mean, I'm figuring by the time I'm done with it, uh, 100,000, maybe more uh, different resources in it. Um, so uh, we, uh, 
and I can't do that by myself. I've already the archives that I've put together have a little less than ten thousand resources right now, and that's taken me twelve years to do that. So um, I would never be able to get a hundred thousand done in my lifetime. So I'm looking for volunteers and people that can help me to get the whole thing put together. Well, not that, but it, and the good thing is they have to have all those resources together because here's one of the things that I see um, as an issue with our people is that it's hard to get us to have any type of unity. Um, if our true diversity is a lot of different countries in in Europa, and a lot of it could be physical. Like, for example, you're going to see a lot more redheads from Scandinavia. You're going to see – you know, more uh, olive-complected people from Greece and, and, and Italy, and as well as in Ireland, you know, you've got, um, you know, natural Irish or black hair, not red hair. That's, that's all Viking blood there. But, I mean, the thing is, there's so many unique differences of each country in Europa that I think the whole EU thing is actually really a disservice to the whole continent because it's not like here in the United States where we started off as 13 independent nations, states, and then realize we need to become a collective. And to be quite honest, I think that the name of the country needs to be changed. It needs to be Union of States because I often present this a lot of times with my GOP as well as people at debate and say, when you see the term United States, what do you see more emphasized, United or States? And the problem with that is if you see United, then you're a Democrat. If you see States, then you're probably a Republican. But the issue is that we should be a the union of states because of the fact that we used to have sovereignty and we gave up just a little bit of power specifically enumerated in the Constitution to do certain things. Now we're seeing with things as well as the uh, Patriot Act and the NDAA has pretty much wiped out a lot of the restrictions in the Constitution and reserving that power exclusive for the government. And then when the states try to say, hey, this is bullshit, that ain't going to happen, they try to slap the states down. And then when you do occasionally get a governor, maybe someone like George Wallace back in the day, that actually has some stones, you know, and then and then he put up a good fight till the end, and they blinked and let that damn girl go to school. So, I mean, when people really start to realize why the South seceded in the first place, they're very right in, in the rights to do so because they're exerting their sovereignty because you had a industrial north basically overruling an agrarian South and they start to use them as their, as their almost slave class themselves. As much as they want to criticize slavery, they just wanted the Southerners to just, hey, just shut up and plant your crops and, and do your thing. It's like, I'm sorry, but a lot of these people have pride and they have honor. And, and even to this day, man, when it comes to the term Southern justice, that still has some meaning down there. Yeah, the, um, I mean, I think that, uh, I like the idea of calling it the Confederate States of America. <laughs> I mean, the South was right. That, that's the correct name. Um, you know, we were Confederate and, and Federate, or Federal, or Confederal and Federal are the same thing, right? We're supposed to be a federation of states, not a union, of, not a United well, yeah, States. Well, we were a confederation when we started, right? So, yes, we were a confederation. Yeah, if, I mean, we should have state sovereignty. I mean, the way the Founding Fathers saw it was that uh, they thought that the locus of power would be in the in the local community, right? That would that would the local communities would decide how they were going to live their lives, and then local communities would band together to provide things that that a single community can't provide very well. For instance, 
uh, law enforcement, right, or the justice system. It's hard for a small town to be able to have a jail and to deal with, with criminals. And so they said, okay, well, we'll band all these towns together, and that'll be a state, right, a major civil division, and then the state will take care of things like crime and maybe building bigger roads and stuff like that that the, the little towns can't do themselves. And then those states will confederate together and provide two essential services and only two services, right? That's the mandate of the federal government is to do two things and two things only, right? Protect our borders and ensure a healthy money supply, and they don't do either. Right, and there's even more layers than that because you talk about the small towns, then you get into townships, then you get into counties, then your state, and then also you have, um, in many cases, regional compacts where – if you're in a certain geographical location of the, of the United States, it behooves you to have some sort of camaraderie together, like obviously the Midwest, known as the Rust Belt, you know, as well as you got the, 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 the Sun Belt or the Bible Belt, you know, out west. I mean, these are, these are areas where these states benefit to have recognize each other, to uh, recognize the benefit of working with each other, as well as uh, some pushback, like, when a lot of people found on L.A., or no, that, that a lot of people found in Arizona that these robocams were uh, sending money to L.A., they was like, hey, watch this. How about we turn that shit off? And they basically um, found ways to do this. Oh, well, if you turn that off, then we'll, uh, we'll do this. It's like, okay, fine, guess what? We'll cut off the water supply that goes to your city down there. What do you think about that? So there's ways to, to get some pushback when that opportunity is there available for you. So – my biggest thing is we as states, and one of the things I've been pushing for is uh, I, I, I spoke at a, uh, a meeting in Georgia a, couple, a few years ago, and now I've been bringing it up again. We're starting to get a little roundtable discussion of individuals talking about this very topic. We're talking about a 50-state secession where basically we render the federal government superfluous, and if necessary, have a military tribunal to find out if uh, many of these people are criminal and need to be properly, uh, you know, tried. It's almost like a Nuremberg trial type of situation. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, obviously, would be one of the first ones we get, whereas someone like Jim Jordan, you wouldn't even have to waste time him even sitting in court. He, as soon as he walked in, they're like, Congressman Jordan, have a nice day, sir. You're on your own, you get an OR. You know, I mean, seriously, people like that that are true patriots that don't, that don't benefit monetarily from being in Congress, but are trying to do the right thing. And, uh, I can guarantee you probably about 95% of Democrats in there were probably enemies of the state right off the bat, and they would have uh, some serious, interesting tribunals. Yeah, I mean, we, we're we trying to – up here in the in Washington County, Maine, I, I have a small group of people that I work with. There's a, there's a GAB group called uh, the White Landowners Union, and, and it's a, sort of a national uh, – probably an international group. There's about 1,200 members right now, in, and it's growing pretty nice. quickly. Uh, but the guy who founded that happens to live like 30 minutes from me. So uh, we got together and we were, well, let's, you know, let's. He, he had another uh, group called the White Labor Union, which was basically like a white labor exchange where his idea was that um, we could get together and work on one another's property and help each other out. Because sometimes, you know, we're, we're, we're a bunch of guys who are trying to do, like, be self reliant and do some homesteading. And, and sometimes you have a two man job, you need somebody else to help. So. We're working to do stuff like that, basically like a uh, like early colonists and so on when they when they did like barn raisers and stuff. The whole community would get together right. and build a new guy a barn, right? So we're trying to do stuff like that. And in fact, we just did one on Tuesday where 
uh, it was a small one. It was just he came over. Well, actually, I kind of went over to his property and helped him for about ten minutes, fifteen minutes, uh, unload a truck full of brush, and then he came over to my property and helped me clear about a hundred yards of road into my property because I I just brought this property. It's out in, in, in the stick somewhere and down this logging road and and some of the branches had grown in it was pretty hard to drive through there without scratching my truck up so he helped me to clear that and we're going to get together with i guess there's going to be four of us on monday and we're going to do some some more work on my property then we're going to go over to his property and do some stuff and and we're you know we're slowly building this group where we have a, a small community and and we are uh community community oriented we're going to um be civic-minded. We're going to be involved in the town and in the, the the various little governments as you were talking about. There's more than just the three governments. There's the townships. There's the um, the, the the school boards. The county government. And we're going to see at what level we can get involved in that stuff so that we can start to have power for people that think like us. With the end goal being to do just what you were talking about, right? To bring these people to justice. Right? The the entire uh, establishment, right, as far as I'm concerned, are all engaged in treason right now, and they they need to be tried, and and you know if found guilty, they need to be hanged for treason. They're they're criminals. They're not doing what's in the best interest of the American people, but rather what's in their own best personal interest, the best interest of their bank accounts. Right, and not to mention just uh, the sedition and treason. That's all. Even some of these presidential candidates. I mean. Good old Nikki Haley was basically talked about on day one. But basically that in so many words, she said, first thing I'm going to do after I get in office is just since I'm going to call Israel and just say, we're standing beside you. In other words, I'm going to call and get marching orders. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what she was right. saying. And I was like, right. wow, yeah. that's sedition and treason right off the bat. Yeah, I like to I like to pimp that quote out a lot. I, I like to say that uh, – Loyalty to Israel is treason to America because I want your average sort of American uh, normie who is, you know, thinks of himself as a Christian to know that putting Israel before America is treason. You you know, you're not you're not doing the work of God. You're doing the work of evil. You're you're destroying your own people, and you're going to be brought to justice for that eventually. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing because we've seen many of. uh, uh, prime ministers in, in presence of Israel saying specifically that Christians and Catholics in particular are stupid because of the fact that they'll always do our bidding just because supposedly their their uh, leader is from Nazareth. So, I mean, that's a whole other issue. Besides, you know, by the time that the, many of these Gospels are written, many years after the crucifixion, who who knows if they actually wrote it, what they actually could recollect, Um what uh, was morphed in their minds, plus the fact that by the time that they wrote many of these Gospels, they were already old. Because back then, if you were 48, you were pretty much considered an old man. And so, uh, who? and again, of all these uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John bullshit, who to say that those aren't names of a collective? Like a lot of people talked about that, was William Shakespeare even an actual man? Was, was he a pseudonym that, that someone used? Or... Did he write the shit and other people fill in the blanks? I mean, there's a lot of speculation on there. And I think there's, uh, you know, and you've had the church selectively edit the Gospels over the centuries and then totally throw out Judas's Gospel uh, just because he was he betrayed him. 
but apparently it was found in, uh, out there in Egypt near the Dead Sea Scrolls. So I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, hold on a minute. <laughs> this is all information that could really shed some light on who this guy supposedly really was. So that's the whole thing is if they selectively edit this book that you supposedly hold as God's word, I mean, look what they do now. They selectively edit certain books. I mean, pretty soon they're going to start selectively editing records. I mean, what these dumbass liberals don't realize, all these Paul McCartney's, Ringo Stars, and Cheryl Crow's don't realize is, yeah, you think you're somebody now, especially while you're alive, and then you die, okay? Maybe if you're lucky, but at the current rate that things are going right now, your legacy will be short-lived probably within 20 to 30 years. After that, nobody's going to give two shits on who Cheryl Crow was or even know who she was, period, because your music won't fit the powers that be in any any remnants of a town where you came from that, oh, this is we named the, the Main Street Cheryl Crow Boulevard because she's from here. Guess what? You got a whole muzzy fucking population there now. You got a whole bunch of spicks in there. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to name all their streets after their people. And then when they become the minority and the next dark ones come in, they're going to change that name and all after their people. So next thing you know, who the fuck was Cheryl Crow? Who cares? So I said, whatever legacy you have, I mean, they're taking down our statues of all of our Confederate generals and shit who are still Americans regardless what side of the line that they fought, that were all respectable leaders in many ways. But they want to erase all that because they don't want to see symbols of rebellion and inspiration. It's just like what um, you, you heard in the Queen's Reich Operation Minecraft as well as Fear Factory is obsolete. You know, they, they didn't want you to have any type of leadership or any type of inspiration that might inspire you to want to rebel. I mean, how long is it before a lot of these movie stars even about biopics? You know, Liam Neeson, he's a, he's a bit of a gun grabber. We had him play Michael Collins, who was one of the resistance guys of the Easter Uprising and shit. Pretty soon, oh, we got to take that movie off because it's too sensitive. Or there's no more white Irish in Ireland, so this movie's irrelevant. Bye-bye. So not only is Liam Neeson now poof gone, but now Michael Collins, who's he? So, I mean, you can see how quickly they can completely eliminate our history in a matter of a short amount of time. Yeah, and they're doing it. They're... I mean, I live in, 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 in New England, have my whole life. Well, I, I spent some time in California and a few other places. But, you know, I was born and raised here, and I, and I came back about 15, 20 years ago now, and I've been here ever since. I now live in Maine, which is um, – I live in the town that claims um, to have fought the very first um, naval battle of the American Revolution. But there are almost no monuments to that or any other battle of the American Revolution. But we do have monuments to Lincoln and the Civil War. I mean, so when the banks just came back and, and, and reclaimed power, basically during the Civil War, which is what it was about, right, after they had been kicked out during the Revolutionary War, that's what we celebrate, right, is they're coming back, even though this part of the country up here in Maine had very few people that had anything to do with the Civil War, but they had a lot of people that died and suffered in the American Revolution. But they don't celebrate the American Revolution. They celebrate the, the Civil War. They celebrate the North winning the Civil War. So in a way, they've already gotten rid of, like you were saying about the Confederate heroes down south, that they're trying to get rid of them. Well, up here they've already gotten rid of 
the Revolutionary War heroes, right? They're, because anybody who is white is a racist, and they're bad, and they're irredeemable, and they have to go. Not to mention, as you were saying, uh, the future populations of these places aren't going to be white, so they're not going to care about those people. We might name a, uh, you know, a, a river or a mountain or a lake or something after some Indian or some Indian word or something, but they're not going to do that for us. All our shit's going because we're irre- irredeemable racists. Oh, yeah, the, the colonials, the colonists and, and, and conquerors, they need to be eradicated. I mean, I mean seriously, the, 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 the more it becomes obvious, and, and I've seen myself over the years, that whenever you allow blacks to get positions of power and influence, uh, they will either, first thing, always become corrupted to, to gain power and, and monetary uh, gain for themselves, especially at the expense of whiting. But if they could go and implement things and be able to muddy up the waters, literally, uh, then they'll do it. I mean, they'll, they'll be the turn to punch bowl in a quick. So, I mean, that's the problem we have is that truths won't matter anymore. I mean, like um, I just had a screenshot of a quote. I was, if you haven't seen it, there's an excellent documentary called Europa, uh, The Last Battle. And I was watching um, part nine recently, and I got a excellent screenshot that featured a quote from George Orwell on that very topic that we're talking about. And basically it says right here, every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered, and the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. George Orwell, 1984. So, again, right there in your face is the battle plan. People don't realize that 1984 was a warning, not an instruction manual. Yeah, this stuff isn't new. I mean, this stuff has been going on forever. When a, when a new regime comes in and new people comes in and conquers the land, they erase those who were there before, right? Uh, you can look as... as well, even before ancient Egypt, but of course there was a famous case of this in, in uh, with Akhenaten, right? When during the the Armana period of, of Egypt, where um, Pharaoh Akhenaten ruled for uh, whatever it was, 13 years or something, and he tried to erase everything that came before. And then when he died, and his son took the throne, King Tut, they killed him off pretty quick. And then they erased everything from that family, you know, and they and they restored the old Amun religion, right? So this isn't a new thing. This is this is what conquering peoples do. Even though this this form of conquering is a little different, it's we nobody's really ever seen this sort of racial flooding. And generally, when an army comes in, they come in with with weapons, swords or guns or what have you, and they say we're going to fight you and we're going to take your land from you if we win. Uh, so this is something that, that that's hard for people to get their heads around. They they don't see it as an invasion. They don't see it as a deliberate attack, as an assault, as war, which is what it is. These, these non-whites coming into our country, when they say that we're racist, what they're saying is they're acknowledging that we don't want them here. Right. So by coming here, they're violating our will. Now we're told that the only way that multiculturalism can work is if all the various cultures are respectful to one another. Well, it's not respectful to invade somebody's country, 
their communities, their institutions, and demand special privileges. That, that's the ultimate in a lack of respect. So by definition, multiculturalism can't work. And the people who are promoting it, the people who are forcing it on us, know that it can't work. Right? It's, just, it's, it's all just a joke. They, they're trying to destroy us. There's no other way to explain that. And if, if I may just cut back to something you said a few minutes ago. You were talking about, yeah. um, <clears throat> about the Bible. And there is a guy, um, his name is Ralph Ellis, and I have his books on the Colchester Collection. And he's written a, a few different series of books, I think uh, 12 books altogether, something like that. But the, the first series of books is a, a series on um, the history of the Jews, who they really are, where he tries to identify who they actually are. Um, the, the second series he calls the King Jesus Trilogy in four parts, because <laughs> he intended it to be three, and it was three books. But then he found out some more information, and he ended up writing a fourth book. So, but he still calls it the King Jesus Trilogy in four, in four parts. And it's absolutely fascinating. I can go on and on and on about the different things he's discovered, but... Um, <clears throat> he proves almost beyond a doubt that uh, the, the, the character, Jesus Christ, in the Bible is a fictional character, but it's based on a very real person. And that person was um, King, King Manu VI of Edessa, this, this kingdom, a very powerful kingdom within the Roman Empire. In fact, mm -hmm. it was uh, probably the second most powerful kingdom in, after Rome itself. And this guy challenged... Um, Vespasian for power because uh, Manu was descended of, from both um, um, Julius Caesar and uh, Cleopatra. So he had royal blood, whereas Vespasian did not. He was just a, a powerful general. So he challenged yeah. Rome for power, and he was um, his mother, or his grandmother, I can't remember which now had converted to the only form of Judaism that allowed converts, which was called Nazarene Judaism. Uh, and a sect of the Nazarenes were called the Essenes. Uh, and that, that sect, the, the, uh, the Essenes, but the, the, probably the, the Nazarenes in toto, um, developed into what we call Christianity today. Right? He demonstrates this very, very clearly. And he shows how this guy, this, this King Manu, uh, he has like, I think, uh, 78 different points of comparison between him and the biblical character of Jesus Christ. Uh, for instance, uh, he wore a crown of thorns. That was his official crown. It was called the crown of thorns. It was actually like this wooden thing that had some spikes on it, but it was called the crown of thorns. Um, mm -hmm. uh, he was born um, outside of where he was from, like you know, almost like in a manger. He was he was born kind of in a, like a on a farm because. Uh, his mother was traveling while he was pregnant. The queen was traveling while he while she was pregnant with him, and he wasn't born in the palace. Um, he was actually crucified. He was the guy who led the Jewish revolt because his his grandmother had converted um, to Nazarene Judaism, and he used that in order to try to get the Jews to foment rebellion against Vespasian, which is what the Jewish revolt was actually about. And he led that revolt. In the, in the Talmud, he's called Joshua. In um, the works of Josephus, he's called Isus of Adiabene. Um, but the Syriac um, historians, uh, which is where he's from, that part of the world, which is now Syria, uh, they, they, name, they, they give him his proper name, which is Manu VI of Edessa. Um, so he was uh, crucified uh, by the Romans for leading the rebellion, and um, Josephus, the historian, was also a very, very highly connected um, 
military man and later on uh, a diplomat. And he actually knew this guy because he had been in his father's court when he was a younger man. Jo- Josephus had been, and so he knew this this prince that had now become the king. And uh, he found out that they had ca- caught him, and they were going to crucify him. So he went to, to intercede on his behalf. And when he got there, he was already being crucified, and he had been up for quite some time. Uh, but he asked the, the, the general of the area, the, the, the governor general, if he would please take him down. He was a friend of his, please take him down. And so he did take him down, and jo, uh, Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, took care of him, nursed him back to health, and um, talked Vespasian into um, shipping him off to Britain, to Great Britain, right, because it was on the complete opposite side of the empire from where he was fomenting trouble. And so mm-hmm. he said, look, if you kill him, you're going to make a martyr out of him, so don't kill him. So this is, of course, where this idea comes that Jesus was crucified, he came down off the cross, and then he went up into heaven. Well, in this case, he went up into the north, right? So it all ties into the story in the Bible. And there's like 78 points of comparison and he does the same thing with Saul. He proves, without a doubt, the character uh, Saul of Tarsus, who we know as St. Paul, was actually Josephus himself. Um, not that he was this, this, this prophet, or whatever you want to call him, this apostle, um, but that Paul in the Bible is actually a fictional character uh, who is based 100% on Josephus. You can take um, Josephus' autobiography and the Acts of the Apostles, and the parts in the Acts of the Apostles that are about Paul, and compare them point to point to one another. It's, it's just a direct rip-off. It's just completely plagiarized from Josephus's uh, autobiography. So That's interesting. That's yeah, it's interesting. really fascinating stuff. I mean, he just shows beyond a doubt who these people are. In my mind, he proves that the Jews, the Hebrews, I should say, were actually the Hyksos, the invader Hyksos of the Roman Empire, and they fought the Aryan elites of, I'm not, I'm, I said Rome, I mean Egypt, of course. They fought the, the Aryan elites of Egypt for, uh, I think it was a couple of centuries, actually, generations anyways, where they, uh, the Hyksos came in and they fought one another. And sometimes the Hyksos were in command and they were running um, Egypt, and other times the Aryans came back and, and took power until eventually the Aryans kicked them out. And he shows in, through these, these ancient histories, right, he shows how this all developed. And it's the exact same story as the story in Exodus, except the story in Exodus says <clears throat> that they were slaves, but they weren't slaves, right? They were actually another ruling elite that got kicked out, which makes sense because in Exodus it says that the Pharaoh gave them all this booty when they were, when they were leaving. Now, why would the Pharaoh give these slaves all this booty if he didn't want them to leave in the first place. That makes no sense, right? But right. it does make sense if you understand that they were another warring class. That happens all the time. You fight to a yeah, standstill when it, when it becomes clear that one side is going to win. I'm sorry? Yeah, you be like, here, if it gives money, I get the fuck out. <laughs> right, exactly. When it becomes clear that one side is going to win, uh, you make an agreement, and you pay. You know, the, the side that's going to win pays the losing side a little bit. So just say, let's let's not fight another ten years. Just go, right? And and that's how they do it. Yeah, it's kind of like just dropping a bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ralph Ellis is. is I mean, everybody. Japanese main have been suicide. 
Yeah, anybody who is interested in real biblical history needs to re- read Ralph Ellis. Uh, he's he might not have it all right, um, but his work is is so important to understand what the reality of what happened, not the goofy stuff that that today's Christians believe happened. You know? That's a very interesting. Wow, I have to definitely look that up. So uh, let, let's kick it up a little bit as far as uh, current events. What's under your call right now that's, uh, that's really got you incensed in some way? <laughs> funny, funny you say that because I was, I was just talking to a friend on the phone earlier, and I was bitching about that uh, Jason Aldean situation that you, you were talking about earlier on your show. Um, and yeah. I don't know a lot about it. I don't, I don't, even, I don't even know who Jason Aldean is until this, this um, controversy, whatever you want to call it. I, mean, I don't know what I've, I've heard, heard his name. Two songs. I, I'm not a fan. But I have to say that I, I watched the video and I heard the song and I, I was impressed. I mean, I was like, I'll definitely buy the song because of the fact it helps the artist in that particular regard. I mean, I got to get my hat off to him. Like I said, I, I, I compared the feeling I felt when I saw that to uh, Johnny Cash's Ragged Old Flag. I mean, it's a very similar feeling. Well, it's funny you say that because I had like the complete opposite reaction. Um and when I when I when I, I went and I found the song and I listened to it, I didn't see the video. I couldn't find that, but I, I listened to the song, um, and I just thought it was such crap. I'm like, this? Why is this? Why is there a controversy over this? This is, and I think my words were, um, this is t- um, typical watered down Judeo pop crap that, that that's been this is that's been passing for country music for the last 25 years or so, right? It's just. And then I, I think I put a link in there to uh, Merle Haggard's White Boy. Right? I said, you know, if you want to listen to real country music, this is real country music, you know. Well, look at it this way. At least it's not hip-hop. It's actually somewhat country. You know, I mean, this hip-hop shit where everything's got to have a rap fucking lyric now is just really distorted even worse. you got a beat, and, and, and it's just sound like a bunch of wiggers trying to fucking have a twang of, Oh, you're really like getting on down and chewing some chaw. I mean, it's just like, God, it's terrible, dude. I mean, I hear some guys that were playing that shit and they go, dude, you listen to that fucking shit all day? I said, God damn, that's worse than fucking having fingernails on a chalkboard. <laughs> like you were saying earlier that uh, the music over the last 25 to 30 years has, has gotten really bad. And, um, I don't know, I guess everybody as we get older, that's what we say, right? Our music, you know, music 30 years ago was much better, and, you know, we used to have to walk to school uphill both ways. But but it really is. Music today is unlistenably bad, all of it. It fucking sucks. Well, some of it's because it's on the wrong megahertz. I was reading something about this while back. There was a band that came out, and uh, I haven't seen them in a while, so I, I forgot the name. But apparently they specifically named their album um, or at least one of the songs at this particular megahertz setting. I want to say like 450 megahertz or something. I forget what it was. But anyway, the the way that a lot of the music that you and I grew up with and, and can still resonate with is because this particular megahertz is like closer to like human biorhythms, you know, where they've changed it up a couple megahertz. And so that's why it seems so, so alien and just it seems like it has no rhythm to it because – it's it's almost like um, like nowadays. Some people have settings on podcasts where you can speed it up a little bit, so it'll still go fast, but you don't sound like Alvin and Chipmunks, you know. But uh, I know some people like who listen to my program on like Player.fm. They they said uh, they've gotten good enough that they can listen to the program 
at two times or two and a half times normal speed uh, for the simple fact that, hey, man, maybe they're at work or something and they've only got an hour to listen to it, but they can't listen to a full two-hour show on normal speed. So they go and speed it up a little bit, and they, they still get the gist of it. Um, but, again, it, it sounds bizarre because it doesn't sound like Alvin and Chipmunks. It just sounds really fast like this. I can turn like this all the way through. Man, I can't even talk that fast. I mean, I, I had an ex-girlfriend that could talk fast like that, but I couldn't. But, I mean, you understand what I'm saying, but um, the rhythms have changed. And I think that's another reason why the music is so bad between auto-tune and also – plus now they keep pushing AI bullshit. It's like act like AI is your friend, like, ooh, here's AI taking classic images of historical figures, and this is what they would look like if they're among us now. And I looked at the shit and I go, dude, you even have a life mask of fucking George Washington as well as a death mask. So that's the closest likeness you can get to the guy, plus some stats, some busts and stuff. And, and the picture you show that this AI says must be George Washington looks nothing like the depiction that we know of. Or, hey, here's Julius Caesar. Really? And, you know, I have to honestly say, as far as actors go, there's one actor I've seen that looks like Julius Caesar. I think his name is Colm Fior. You look at him, like, right. especially with his hairline and stuff, I was like, dude. If there's ever an embodiment of Julius Caesar, it's that guy. That's him. <laughs> yeah, yeah Linda, I, that, man. I know that there was the, um, what they call him? I think they called him the the German professor, I think. It was, and I can't think of his name, but he was a Jewish guy. You know, who He was part of the, um, the Frankfurt School, came over here in the 30s, 40s, whatever it was. And he is the guy who is credited basically with single-handedly creating rock and roll music in the 50s. And he did a lot of the things you were just talking about, about how they, they use sound in a certain way and frequencies in a certain way to um, sort of break down resistance to Jewishness, to sort of um, corrupt people and corrupt young people with the music. And, um, and it was just, I can't think of his name, but there was a, a gal that used to write for... Um, the Occidental Observer, and she wrote a series of articles on there, which I cannot find. I can't think of her name. Um, she wrote a series of articles about him. I think she also published a book about him as well. You're not talking about Herbert Marcuse, are you? No, I, I don't think it was Marcuse. Um, I'm familiar with his name. Did they call him the German history. professor? I don't recall. I know there's a... It, oh, I, oh God! I think I know who you're talking about. It's like, uh, oh shit! Oh man, I can see the guy's face. Is it like uh, Berkheimer or something like that? Yeah, it's not any of those that, that are more familiar. I had never heard of him before until uh, I, I actually listened to her do a, a series of interviews one time, and it was just fascinating how she she demonstrated that this guy created rock and roll music single-handedly. He's the one who came up with the whole style, um, you know came up with the, 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 the types of lyrics that would be used, and he was the, he was the guy that he engineered a lot of the early um, bands, and he, um, he was like the money man. Well, he wasn't the money man, but he was the, the, the contact to the money man behind the whole thing, uh, who really, back in the 1950s, like all those early stars, uh, Richie Valens, um, uh, fuck, I can't think of uh, Billy, what the hell's his name? Uh, all those guys, the big bopper, he was sort of behind all of that stuff. And it was expressly to break um, sort of traditional 
folk music, right? To, to, to break our connection to the music of the past and create this new thing um, that was deliberately designed to cause young white boys and girls to be more suggestible and influenceable by these sort of this Jewish cult that was basically controlling the whole rock and roll music scene. It looks like the main name I see popping up is um, Herbert Marcuse. Marcuse, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it was him, but it might have been. But I remember he he said that he was known as the German professor. Yeah, unless it was maybe like uh, Otto Korchheimer or um, Leo Lowenthal. Yeah, I don't remember. I, know, I mean, I'm fa- somewhat familiar with the Frankfurt School, the names of the Frankfurt School people, and, and I, I, I don't recall it being one of those common names, the commonly well-known names. Okay. Well, that, that's, what, that's what I was looking up there. So I even said found a rock and roll, and I, I kept popping up Herbert Marcuse. So, yeah, that, that's interesting. But, you know, yes, the thing is when people really start to discover – this school of thought and really um, what they did. I mean, obviously, they fled Germany because Hitler was after their kind, and they were fairly well-known probably by then. Like I said, I, what I thought was interesting about the Nazi socialists is that when they took over Berlin, they actually took over the uh, one of the main uh, degenerate clubs that they were most notorious and made it uh, National Socialist Headquarters. So oh, that's, that's kind of like uh, that's 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 like the Muslims do when they go in and conquer something. They'll, they'll take over a church and turn it into a mosque. So that's kind of what right. the National yeah. Socialists did to that degeneracy. They said, nah, we're, we're, we, we uh, basically said, screw you, we wiped you out. Now we're going to take this shit and use it for our own purposes. Yeah, there was a, um, there's a club in New York, Club Odessa, I think it's called. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's around today, but it – it was for a long time the, the head of the, the, the Red Mafia, which you know, the, the mainstream media called the Russian Mafia, but there's nothing Russian about it. It's a, it's a Jewish enterprise through and through, right? Um, there was a Jewish guy, I can't think of his name, but he wrote a book called The Red Mafia. It's, it's actually on the Colchester Collection, and he talks about how it's all Jews behind it. But uh, they were running the, 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 the mafia out of that club for a long time. Uh, and I always thought, you know, if we could – we could one day have enough power to get control of that club. We could turn it into like a headquarters for us, right, and sort of get revenge well, for everything I, they've done. I had seen that a lot of the Italian mafia was run by Jews because it said the the, the Italian mafia's decisions on that were actually a little too stupid. It was the Jews that were the real dons, and that these guys were just capos essentially. Oh yeah, the. Uh... The syndicate, it's called, right? The syndicate is the real power behind the Sicilian mafia. And the syndicate was run by four Jews and one, um, one Sicilian guy, Lucky Luciano, right? And Lucky Luciano was, was the power while he was alive. He, he was somebody to be reckoned with. He had all the muscle behind him, and he wasn't somebody to be fucked with. But he was good, close friends with the, the most powerful of the Jews, a guy named Meyer Lansky. Um, they yeah. had met at a very young age, like five, six years old, something like that, and they kind of grown up together, and they had b- become very friendly. So as they grew and they, they both became involved in, in their uh, respective um, sort of organized crime families in their respective communities, uh, they knitted them together. And uh, Meyer Lansky brought in a couple other Jews, Mo Dallitz, Bugsy Siegel, and, um, 
and Dutch Schultz. And the four of them teamed up with, uh, with Lucky Luciano to form the syndicate, which became the, the real power behind the Sicilian. So the so-called Sicilian mafia isn't really Sicilian. The muscle is, is a lot of the muscle is done by the Goombas, the, the Sicilians, right? But the real power is the Jews behind it. And the story is fascinating how they fucked the Goombas over. They never fucked Lucky, though. They were afraid to mess with Lucky. In fact, Lucky ended up killing two of them. He killed uh, Dutch Schultz and Bugsy Siegel. Well, he actually, he forced Meyer Lansky and Modalis to kill him. Um, but, well, you know, well, Siegel was Lucky wasn't somebody to be trifled with. For Las Vegas. And, then, and when that flopped and a lot of, lot of mafia money was lost in that endeavor, they killed him. But then someone else saw the potential of it and took over the Flamingo and then actually grew it from there. So Siegel had the right idea. He just didn't. Uh, he didn't have the right marketing skills. Yeah. Well, he was according to the source I read. Siegel was skimming, and of course he was skimming for the other the other two Jews, right? Mo Dallas and Meyer Lansky. They were all skimming, but he was the Judas go, right? Mo and and, and Meyer put it all on Buzzy. So so Lucky said, mm-hmm. "Well, you got to kill this motherfucker." Then so they did, you know. Yeah, right there on his couch. <laughs> he shot him right in the eye. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, Dutch Schultz, a little bit before that, Dutch Schultz was in trouble with a, uh, a U.S. attorney who was investigating him. I think it was a U.S. attorney. It might have been somebody else in the Department of Justice, but if I recall, it was an actual U.S. attorney that was sort of hot and heavy to put um, Dutch Schultz away. And Dutch was like, you know, I'm going to kill this guy because he, he won't back off. And, you know, Lucky's like, no, you can't kill him. What the fuck are you talking about? You kill him, you're going to bring a bunch of heat down on us. Um, you know, but he wouldn't stop talking about how he was going to kill him. So, again, Lucky turned to, to Meyer Lansky and said, you take care of this motherfucker. So Meyer and Moe and, and Bugsy at that time had to put Dutch Schultz down. Um, mm-hmm. so, so Lucky had power, but the whole thing was really organized. If, if you really understand how it works, is there's the, the, the boss, right, the Don, then there's the, the what's he called? The, the, um, the underdon, I can't think of his name, but there's the second the command guy, right? And then there's the uh, the third in command. I'm sorry. The underboss. Yeah, the the underboss. The the third in command is um, is actually the the consigliere, right? The the lawyer. That's always the the guy who's third in command. Uh, But every single so-called Sicilian consigliere, well, yeah, they were Sicilian. They were they were born and raised in Sicily, or they had you know their families had come from Sicily if they were here in America, um, and they had been in Sicily for for a thousand, two thousand years or more, of their families, but they were actually Jews. Right? In order to be a consigliere, you pretty much had to be a Jew. So, uh, the consigliers acted as the go-between. So, when it said that you're connected, it, what that means is that you're connected to the government. That's actually what it means. Right? You, you you don't have any power unless the government says you have power. Right? And of course, the government is really the Jews. Right? The Jews run the government. The government runs the the mafia. Right? I don't mean the government right. runs the mafia. That's an overstatement. But what I mean is that. Um, there's a there's a process whereby if if you are in the mafia you have to get sign off by the consigliers right so the consigliers are the liaison to the official apparatus the government to the police to the ju- to the court system right they're the liaison and they go back and they tell the don what he can do and what he can't do right they say no they're not going to allow that but they'll allow this right so it's that's why they're called connected. It's all, it's all connected to Jews, right? It's, it's, if you don't have a Jewish connection, you can't get anywhere. And the proof of that is, is, is just obvious. 
you and I could never do that. <laughs> we could never form an Aryan uh, mafia and be successful. It would be wiped out in, in seconds, right? We would have like to have a connection the to the government to do that. In mm-hmm. charge. And and the kings were basically, uh, they, 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 you know, that's one of the whole, the whole things about Henry VIII was that uh, Anne Boleyn had actually given him a book by this guy that basically reaffirmed his divine right to rule his kingdom as he, as he chooses. And so that's why he said, okay, fine, you want me to divorce Catherine? Screw this shit. I'm just going to go ahead and form my own church. And then to cover my own ass, I'm going to make sure I'm the de facto head of the Church of England. So they won't stab me in the back, too. So, I mean, he, that's where the whole Protestant thing came from, is the fact that the church wouldn't recognize the divorce. Because supposedly he uh, married his uh, dead brother's uh, wife. So, I mean, you know, but which casts Mary, his daughter, into a question of legitimacy because it, it was considered uh, sinful. But, of course, at the same stroke, you know, him uh, divorcing Catholics so he can get Anne Boleyn, so he can, which produces Elizabeth, you know, it's just like, and then it was, it was Jane Seymour that got him to recognize, look, you need to love both your daughters because they're your offspring because his son William had died. So he had to recognize his daughters, at least at some point. And then Mary got in charge, and they called her Bloody Mary because she was an ardent Catholic, and she was determined to wipe out the Protestant scourge in England. And, of course, she had from uh, uterine cancer. And then Elizabeth comes on, of course, the Protestant queen. So Philip II said, i got to fucking invade England and get this damn heretic off the throne. But at the same stroke, she became one of the greatest monarchs in the history of Britain. Yeah, it's it's all about connectivity, and and if you understand how power really works, you see that there's a certain group of people behind all that whispering all the time, and we know who they are. Yeah, and they always have, seem to have a clutched hand, don't they? Yeah, they certainly do. They're always rubbing them together, and and it's, yeah. it's, you know, it seems like it's an overstatement. It's, you know, the Jews want to make people who say stuff like that out to be, you know, have some sort of a pathology they call anti-Semitism, right? It's like it's a mental illness, right? Oh, you got Jew on the brain. Well, yeah, I have Jew on the brain because I pay attention to what's going on, and every time I look, you know, behind any kind of a curtain or anything, there's a fucking Jew there every time. You know? Every time I slip on a banana peel, Jew must have put it there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, it's uh, yeah, they... no one about this cartoon, man. I mean, it's, seriously, it's gotten that bad. It's like Looney Tunes. I mean, hey. um Martin Luther himself wrote a, wrote a book, right? He wrote a book called On the Jews and Their Lies, right? and which mm-hmm. he, he talks about how deceitful Jews are. And, and Martin Luther is generally credited with being the man who, who started or kicked off the Protestant Reformation when he, he nailed his 95 theses to the church in what, Wittenham or whatever there in 1512, whatever year it was. Um, and he writes this book, when it's all said and done, about how evil Jews are and the reason he's writing this book is because he realized he'd been used, right? The Jews used him to destroy the church. That's what, you know, mm-hmm. and he was bitter about it, but he, he couldn't admit it. He probably couldn't even admit it to himself that he had been duped. He had been fooled, right? So he writes this book about how they're deceitful little weasels, and, but he, he never seems to really understand what they did and, what, and how they used him to do it. And he's not the only one. Uh, John Calvin, one of the other main uh, Protestant um, leaders. He is a Jewish, as I can tell. His his French name is Calvin, Calvin, something like that, which is a Cohenine name, right? So he probably is a Jew, right? The 
It's, uh, they're all Jews or Judified. So, in fact, the, the church called the, the Protestant. You know, Protestants weren't called Protestants until much later on. For the first two or three hundred years of their existence, they were called Judaizers. Um, huh. Well, I'll tell you, man, you you got a great repository. So many of these books are probably featured in there, and if not, you can find something that will give you a great primer uh, to lead you in the same direction. I mean. You know, nothing says that uh, the truth will set you free. When you when you really start to see, start seeing that the the dots start to connect, and you back away from the picture, and you start to see the mosaic, you're like, holy shit! I mean, you know, a lot of people I I've talked to say, you know, if you really want to understand the new world order, first thing you got to do is got to understand the basics of the Federal Reserve. Once you do that, that is the keyhole. You can look through the keyhole, and you can really start to see all the mechanizations. Like, oh wow, what's all this shit? And then, of course, like every like the layer of an onion, as you get deeper, it gets stronger and more pungent. But the most important thing is, is that each layer gets more and more rotten. So you're just kind of like, oh wow, dude. So I mean, seriously, it's uh, it, it's amazing when you really start to look into this stuff. But when you really start to collect and realize that all wars are bankers' wars, and always, most majority of the time, leads back to the Rothschilds. Again, when you get the same few hands that seem to be behind pulling the levers of everything in the world, and they just so happen to have Jewish surnames, then they're obviously, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, I mean, you, you were saying that, you know, um, Martin Luther's book on, on the Jews and their lives is, is in the Colchester Collection. You can, you can read it for free. You can buy a copy to support the, uh, the, um, the booksellers that sell that kind of stuff, the pro-white booksellers. Or you can, you know, just read it for free. It's in PDF or HTML. Uh, I think there's a Kindle version on there too, um, and and many of the other books that, that that talk about all this stuff. Like I said, there's 1,800 of them. Um, this, this isn't just stuff that people make up. I mean, these, these books are very well cited. They're very well sourced. They they you know chapter and verse about you know where they got the information from. And are you still there? Yes. I thought I lost you for a second. And one of those no, books is is E. Michael Jones' um, the, 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 the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, right, which talks about the fact that for the last at least 600, well, I think he actually goes back to before the time of Christ, but I, he, he starts talking about the Hussite Rebellion, which if I remember correctly was in 1405, and I think it was connected, I, I might be getting this wrong, but I think it was connected to the... Uh, to the defenestration of Prague. But anyway, he, he goes through this whole history of, of, like, these medieval wars in Europe uh, right up to the present day and how there's always a Jew behind them every single time. Uh, oh, I believe it. I believe it. And, and you see any more so. I mean, the more and more you really start to dive into World War II, um, you really start to see how the Allied powers all run by Jews. And, and if it wasn't the direct leaders themselves, you know, there's uh, some – Evidence to show that uh, that Churchill was part Jewish himself, actually, but he's definitely a Mason. But he's he could possibly very good possibility that Jewish himself. Uh, Stalin, we know, definitely was. Uh, Roosevelt wasn't Jewish, but he's definitely a Mason. But and again, when you really start to look at stuff, because that's the thing. I've, I think I've had my awakening. I, I think watching the, the Dennis Wise trilogy has really open up my eyes a little bit and really start to see the powers of being. Because a lot of people I've talked to have said, Adolf Hitler, the greatest story never told, has probably woken more people than any 9-11 truth thing. 
um, or anything about Kennedy because you realize those are just those are just little drops in the ocean. You know, Kennedy, we know government did it. 9-11, we know the government did it, why they did it. But it, when you really start to see the cause and effect, I mean, and to really understand World War II, you have to go back to World War One and see the shit that was going on there, who was pulling the levers, you know, secret societies, obviously Black Hand was shot, you know, Archduke Ferdinand, how they got all these people. I mean, the very reason why George Washington said trade with all alliances of none was a prime example of how World War One kicked off. Because once, once the Austrian-Hungarian Empire got in with all the Serbians and shit, next thing you know, it's like, oh, well, now we need to we need to pull the Germans into this. But yet the Germans got pulled into it due to a treaty agreement, but yet they're the ones that got the blame for the whole fucking war, and then they're the ones that had to pay all the all the um, the Treaty of Versailles. I mean, it totally got screwed. You didn't see any of the other nations that they were aligned with have to pay for that shit. No. It was just it was determined to destroy Germany and once they get the Kaiser out of the way, they collapse within two or three days. So I mean, you know, you can understand how someone like Adolf Hitler could be really pissed as a soldier going, Hey man, we're about to win this motherfucker. You know, I mean the Ludendorff offenses were working. And all of a sudden they got the payments pulled out from under. So the 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 stab in the back was by the Jews. Yeah, and the whole the whole plan to to sort of conquer the world, the whole Zio global globalist plan, all comes from um, you know Albert Pike's um, book on the, the Freemasons. There, the um, the Scottish Rite, whatever the hell it is. The mm-hmm. older I get, the more I forget these things. But um, yeah, he lays out the plan. He says what you need to do. Now he's not saying this from a Jewish perspective. He's saying it from a Masonic perspective. You know, but the Jews took that plan. And said, yeah, we'll just do that. This guy's figured it out. And what he says is, you have to start with, you know, you have to have three world wars in order to conquer the world. You start in Russia, because at the time Russia was the the biggest white nation in the world. So he thought it made sense to just, since white people are superior to everybody else, start with the biggest white nation, right? So you get control of Russia, and then you slowly move westward, right, and you, you get control of Germany, which is the second biggest white nation in the world at the time, right, uh, when he was writing this back in the 1880s, I think, 1889, I think it was probably something like that. Um, it says, well, well, America was a backwater back then, so that didn't factor in any of this at all, because this, it was long before America was a, a world power, you know, so he said, you know, this is what you do, this is, how you, this is how you gain power, and then you have a third world war, once you get control of Europe, you have a third world war centered in the Middle East somewhere, probably picking on a, like a large country like Iran or something like that, was, was what he said, right? So, and that's, yeah. of course, right according to the plan, that's what they want to do. Yeah. Well, that's not only too, because um, until Bismarck, Germany was not a, a true United Nation, it was like a collection of kingdoms. For the longest time, that we had like separate states. So they, but they weren't really a united German nation. It was all of Bismarck that actually did all that. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the German-speaking people, I think, German. I think even to this day, to this day, German German-speaking people are the second largest uh, language group in Europe after Russian-speaking people. Well, the biggest thing was it was the fact that they were becoming a serious uh, competitor to the British Empire because of the fact that you know their uh, their philosophers and scientists and 
and, and also they were very highly regarded, and they were starting to realize that they were becoming a serious threat because as Germany now was a nation, they were starting to do colonies in Africa and everywhere else. So they were starting to become serious competitors. Britain didn't like that. You know, Britain was the, the empire that, where the sun never sets, you know, because everywhere they go, they always had a piece of land somewhere, and the sunshine was bright, it was, you know, bright on it. But, you know, the thing that Hitler admired was as vast a huge empire that they had, they only had a, a, a force of about 50,000 troops that pretty much kept the, you know, kept the order in the entire empire. That said a lot because they took the Roman model and, and refined it, where they basically would, uh, they would buy off all the leadership and, and governors and, of the satraps and everything else. Next thing you know, they would uh, control the police forces and the armies in those, those uh, uh, provinces and shit and basically uh, reward them and, with, uh, with greed and corruption, whatever possible. So Britain had complete control of everything they had with very little force. Yeah, you you bring up you know, the the fact that Germany's you know it's rising in power because the German people are brilliant. Um, you know all the all the German nations, all the the Germanic or Teutonic peoples are very smart. The Anglo Saxons are, are Germanic people. It's why they're so smart and capable, right? Um, so you've got this this power in the center of Europe that that uh, is huge as far as numbers go, and they're very smart. And, and uh, that ties right <laughs> in. Well, what's that? They beat the Romans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and they were supposed to be just barbarians at the time. So, um, <clears throat> but they the Jews always want this. this you, know, you hear this term, the balance of powers, right? So so there's always two superpowers, right? For a long time, it was uh, like Spain and France, and it was England and France, or Great Britain and France. Um, then you know eventually it was. The United States and, and the Soviet Union, and since the collapse of the Soviet Union, there's only been one superpower, the United States. So the Jews have been casting about for another superpower to raise up to balance off the United States because they always need this balance because they need to make sure that there isn't one country that can slip away from them. So you can always use the other country against it. Right? So, so they've been they've been very uneasy for the last 30-plus years since the fall of the Soviet Union, and they keep trying to raise up another superpower. Sometimes they, they're like, ah, maybe we'll make it Russia again, or, or they'll be, ah, maybe it'll be the Muslims. And It seems like they've settled on China, though. China's going to be the second superpower that the Jews raise up to sort of balance out America. Uh, but the weird thing about it is that there's nothing natural about that. Right? There is no way in hell it could always be just two countries that are superpowers. Right? That, that's an impossibility right? unless there's a larger power behind the whole thing directing it. It's the only way that it could work. Uh, so it should be enough, that should be enough proof for anybody to, to see that there, there's some shadowy group running all of this or it wouldn't always develop in the exact same way. It's, it's developing in the exact same way because they have a plan and they make it develop that way. It could never do that organically. Well, here, here's a pretty good comparison with antiquity. I mean, really, the Cold War was argu- arguably the Punic Wars all over again because, in fact, the Roman, Roman Carthage were the two big powers of the Mediterranean, and basically Egypt, even though it was probably soon to be a full province under Rome, was essentially like Great Britain. You know, they were a lot more diminished than what they used to be. Uh, you know, after World War II. So if the head, head's off was always between the United States and the Soviet Union, that's Roman Carthage. Well, what happened? Well, at some point, one of them collapsed. 
you know, Carthage collapsed and uh, they, uh, uh, you know, skip you off for comments, basically wiped it out, and then stole the earth so they never come back, you know. And the same stroke, it's like, okay, Russia collapsed on its own shit, turned to a federation, kind of mind its own business, and uh, we're the new Rome. Well, you know, eventually when you become the big boy in the block, you start to get uh, lose some of your structure, and then like everything else, Good times, you know, bad times creates good men, but then uh, good times creates, uh, you know, bad men, and then it collapses. So, I mean, we're at that point where it's starting to look like, oh, probably Rome before the uh, the rise of the Eastern Empire. I mean, seriously, it's starting to um, look eerily similar. I mean, a lot of the same things that Rome had, uh, had fraught with, porous borders and everything else, I mean, you know, being attacked by the Vandals and the Huns and everything else, I mean, we're having the same situation now. It's just a little bit different political scale. Yeah, I think the, the big difference is that um, those things were more organic, right? They, they sort of developed in a certain way. But the, the people that run the world today, they know their history. They know how things work. So they deliberately – they act as a catalyst, and they, they deliberately make these things happen faster, stronger, right? So – they understand, the Jews understand that all empires are, were Aryan in nature. Well, there's been a few exceptions, China, but not many. Uh, almost all advanced civilizations throughout history were Aryan civilizations. They, they may have had a lot of non-Aryan people in them, for instance, India, where the Aryan peoples came out of uh, the Pontic Steppe and what is today Ukraine, came down and conquered India, and then ran India, and they did the same thing in Egypt and some of the Middle Eastern countries, where the, the majority of the population was still the non-whites that lived there that were native to the place, but the Aryans ran it, right? And as long as they ran the place as Aryans and stayed separate from the muds, um, everything was okay. But when they started miscegenating and mixing with the muds and, and having children with them, the mean IQ drops to a level where the civilization can't maintain itself anymore. And the Jews are very, very familiar with this. They understand this. It's why they're flooding white nations with non-whites and forcing us to have sex with them, right? Um, yeah. You know, they really, in a way, it's a, it's a rape of white women. It, it, it's, very, it's forcible almost. They're shaming them and punking them and, and, and gaslighting them into having sex with non-whites. Um, in order to feel better about themselves, to feel like they're not racist or, you know. Uh, and then they, they, they sort of convince white boys that they need to be trannies, right, because um, the only way that they can be a part of one of the privileged identity groups, the only privileged identity group that's available to them is to cut their dicks off and become a tranny or be a homosexual or something and enjoy the, join the queer group, right? They can't... Um, they can't be real women, so they can't join the sort of women's group. They can't be black. They, they can't really join those groups. But they can become a homosexual or cut their dick off and become a transsexual, and then they get all the privileges of these groups. And, and not enough people in our movement understand how powerful this is psychologically uh, because many of us are strong-minded, so it's hard for us to understand how somebody could be so weak and so foolish. But that's what's going on here. Um, they're... they're brainwashing our children and manipulating them in ways that it's, it's hard to see. And these children themselves, even when they become adults, they don't see it. They don't understand it, right? But white men are cutting their own dicks off in, in record numbers, right, 
trying to prove that they're not racist and not sexist. That's what's behind it. And white women are fucking niggers and other non-whites in record numbers to try to prove that they're not racist and they're not sexist. Right? Well, they're not racist in the case of women, right? Um, because being a racist is the worst possible thing you can be in Western society, according to, to our interlocutors, according to the Jews. They, they have convinced us of this. There's a, the great story of... Um, <clears throat> Oh, what's his name? The uh, the serial killer there, the Jeffrey Dahmer, right? Jeffrey Dahmer mm-hmm. did an interview on on uh, national TV, and he was asked questions like, you know, are you really a serial killer, serial rapist, uh, pedophile rapist, uh, cannibal? And he happily admits to being all these things. He does not. Um, he doesn't, you know, try to deny anything. He just, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I did. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have a problem with any of it. And then. When the interviewer asks him if he's a racist, he recoils in terror and can't backpedal fast enough denying that he's a racist, right? He doesn't want anybody to think he's a racist. It's okay if they think that he eats, he rapes, kills, and eats young boys. That's okay, right? But I'm not a racist. <laughs> that he can't let anybody think he is, right? So it's all the proof anybody should need that being a racist is the worst possible thing you can be in Western society. So. Uh, the way that that affects white people's minds, the way it warps their minds from, from birth until they die, uh, is the, the driving force behind um, the increase in miscegenation with white women and even white males to a degree, uh, and this whole transgender and queer movement. Right? It's, it's the only way that white people can get positive reinforcement. It's the only way that, that they can prove that they're not racist and sexist. It's the only way that they can, in the case of white boys and, and young white men, it's the only way in which they can join one of these privileged identity groups, which is what I like to call them, right? The, the Jews, the blacks, all the various racial groups, uh, women, queers, right? They're privileged identity groups. They, they have all the privilege in our society. They're seen as high status. White men are seen as low status. And everybody is, is desperate to become, it's, it's what human beings do with status climbers. We want to climb higher and higher up the, up the ladder of success or up the ladder of perceived success. Right? We want to be more statusful, right? higher status. And so white people are fleeing whiteness. Right? They're, they're cutting the white boys, again, are cutting their dicks off to flee whiteness, and, and white girls are fucking niggers in order to flee whiteness. And... Yeah. Well, not that, but also just the uh, self-emulation where, I, I saw a post a meme earlier today. It was a screenshot of a meme, and it says uh, in Deutsch, it says "Mein Blutlinie endet mit mir," and basically it means my bloodline ends with me. And it shows this chick in like a hospital gown, taking like a scalpel and stabbing something. I'm assuming it's probably her uterus, because um, you still see the fallopian tube and the ovary connected to it, I guess. But I mean. That is very powerful in itself because of the fact that you see people all the time that they think, oh, I don't want any children because of the fact that it will impact climate change and all this other shit. But yet the same stroke, in your own countries, you're looking at these muzzies coming in, four or five women each, and having at least four or five babies each. And they even brag to you like, oh, guess what? They're German. You're lucky to have what? One kid and a dog? I'm going to have at least 16 to 22 children. You can't compete, fuckhead. I mean, it's just mathematically, it's impossible. I mean, with this Judeo-Christian fucking shit, not that I would support polygamy, but I don't, I don't think that the option should be taken off the table. I mean, because all the other cultures that are coming in, Hispanics, you know, they come in, they have multiple fucking children. 
I mean, the women are pretty fucking fertile. They have at least four or five children on average. And if they're fairly promiscuous, they fuck anything on two legs. Especially they can fuck a white woman with the sole purpose of making her breed his children. So now you got, you know, half-breeds running around. It's still watered down the fucking, the, the white mix. So, I mean, seriously, people don't understand that this shit is, is coming to a head. And we're going to see it within our lifetime that we will be the minorities. I mean, what, what happened in South Africa is about to happen here. It's a petri dish to the rest of the West. And we see that they have, um, you know, the BEE programs and stuff for basically that you can't hire any whites. You have to hire blacks and that some of the whites that you already have hired, you may have to fire them to make room for, for other blacks, regardless of the fact that this person's skilled and makes you money. So it's like, oh, yeah, I have to get rid of them just because they're white. And then they put them in little, on, on, on little rock piles, and they build little shanties as I have some sort of thing. And, they, and they're resourceful. They still make the shanties work. But the bottom line is they're basically like refugee camps. And then every step of the way, if they try to put up any type of defenses, whether it's fencing or whatever, they cut the fences and steal their animals. I mean, there's all sorts of shit going on there. I mean, I got links here at the bottom of the show page for the South Africa Family Relief Project. So basically, if you want to help those people out, there's information there. We can go to links to give them uh, food voucher support and uh, or just direct money. Because if you send anything to them, if it even makes it through the mail system, it will be molested if it even shows up at all. So, I mean, that's the worst part is that they're still somehow managed to make things, but just making sure they even have enough beans or beets to even throw in some boiling water to even try to make a, a shit stew out of it for the day, and that might be their only meal for the day, even that's becoming scarce. So that's a whole other problem, man, because that shit's coming here. As long as that usurper in our White House keeps those borders open, my biggest fear is, is that uh, since Reagan had a precedent, that was a one-time only deal, but it doesn't matter. It's a precedent. So they can go as well, wait to go. Oh, guess what? We're going to go ahead and we're going to give amnesty to 20, 30 million illegal Mexicans in here, and then it will flip the electorate overnight. And you think it's bad enough to the shit that's going on in France. That is child's play compared to what's going to happen here because at least we have guns. And, and it, when, it, when it comes to a second civil war, like I had Billy Roper on a number of years back talked about, it won't be state versus state. It's going to be neighbor versus neighbor. So if anything, I recommend people, while you're going to the Colchester Collector Collection and actually reading books and learning some stuff, you need to get on your voter rolls and find out who your fucking neighbor is. If they're Democrats, automatically assume they're the enemy. And if they're Republicans, talk to them. Because if they're rhinos, they're going to be just as bad as Democrats because they're Democrat light. And, and given the opportunity and things get scarce, they're going to fucking throw a shit can you quicker than a snake smile if they think they're going to get an extra bag of rice out of it. So, I mean, these are things we have to take into account. We need to find out who our friends and neighbors are and make sure we have things figured out because when these roving band of marauders come in, especially when the power goes out because they're determined to crash the grid, you're going to see reality happen because, like I said, if you ever had any remnants of hurricanes come through like we did back in 08 and knocked the power out for two weeks, that was awakening for me. I saw how people change attitudes real quick because they're running out of food. So, again, these are things you have to worry about. At least if there's certain spots, like I'm sure you probably got a lot of good fishing holes up there in Maine. You know, there's a couple of stuff down here. We've got half a decent creeks or 
um, you know, some likes around here. At least there's an option. But the problem is you have to leave your home to go to that lake to catch some fish. As soon as you leave the house, your family ransack your fucking your place. So these are things where we have to work together to make sure that we look out for each other. And you can't always assume there's going to be power. You have to do it like you did in colonial times, you know, have, have candles in the windows or whatever so you know it means certain things. Some of the old binary codes, like you used to do pagers, hey, if there's one candle in the windows, two candles, three candles, you know it means something. You go, uh-oh, Roger's got fucking four candles up his window. Oh, shit, big, get over there. So, I mean, you know, things like that because pretty soon the power is going to be cut off and we're going to be sent back 100-plus years, brother. I mean, I, I know you see it because I see your commentary on Gab. Yeah, I mean, I'm, as I talked about earlier, I'm, we're trying to build a community up here. It's, it's not like a compound or any kind of thing like that because that's too easily attacked. Right. Both uh, in the media, they can, you know, make us look like we're crazies or whatever, and, of course, by the government itself, that's just convenient. blowing us up, right, firebombing us like they did in Waco or what have you. Uh, but it's, it's yeah. a distributed community. Um, we live, There's a... A bunch of land in, 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 up here that's for sale. The, the uh, logging companies are selling property up all the time, usually very large parcels. Uh, I just bought a fairly large parcel. I have a friend who bought one, and, a, and another guy that we both know has bought one. And um, we're, we're getting other people interested. Um, there's a the gal I know. With, she's got three kids. And she doesn't live too far away. Um, she's thought the way that we thought, white, white nationalist, whatever you want to call it. She's pagan. Um <clears throat> She, you know, she wants to be a part of this, and we're going to put together um, these distributed communities of people who think like us. Uh, strong, I like to call it a strong Aryan identities. Right? And we're going to mm-hmm. help each other to develop these identities, uh, help each other to make sure that our children develop these identities. Um, you know, and we're going to have this community so that no matter what happens, right? If if the status quo remains. Because we don't know what's going to happen. I, I mean, it looks like the world's going to end. You, you think you look at the numbers, you you look at the like the, the economics of the situation, you look at that kind of thing, and you think, wow, the world's going to end like in five days. I mean, there's just there's just no way this thing can continue. But people have been saying that, you know, survivalists have been saying that for a hundred years, and it never ends. These these Jews always seem to be able to keep it going. I right? just keep it limping along. I right? keep just keep draining a little more blood out of it. Yeah. You know? So it might collapse tomorrow. It might collapse 100 years from now. It's going to collapse, though. So our plan is to, no matter what happens, if it collapses in our lifetime, we're going to be ready. If it doesn't collapse, we're going to be ready, right? We're going to be, in the meantime, we're going to be um, shoring up political power. We're going to be um, getting together and, and getting involved in our local communities, the towns that we live in. They're small towns up here. Most of them are, uh, are less than 1,000 people. Many of them are less than 400 people. Uh, it only takes 10 people to show up at a town meeting, and you can take over the whole town meeting and decide everything for the town, right, because nobody shows up to these things, right? Sweet. So, um, so we're going we're gonna to we're we're grab local power. We're going to get control over the, the uh, local com- um, school board. We're going to get control over the local town select board. We're going to get control, hopefully, eventually, over the county commission, and we're going to start running things. We're going to have the sheriff is going to be one of us. The district attorney is going to be one of us. Uh, this is how we're going to do it. And then uh, when the things, as we were talking earlier about the mafias. Especially the sheriff because he's the most powerful official because he's directly elected by the people. The sheriff has more power than the president of the United States. 
Exactly. People don't realize that. You know, the the sheriff is the king of the damn county, period, right? He, yeah. I mean, together with the county commission and the district attorney, and district attorneys aren't always county. Sometimes they're, they're, it's a little bit different. But, but those three guys are like the triumvirate that runs the county. And they have tremendous power. But people have been fooled and, and tricked. And the federal government doesn't have any right. At any rate, if the federal government comes into your community and wants to arrest somebody, arrest one of us, right, they have to contact the local police, including the local sheriff, because if they don't, there could be a firefight between them and local police, and they don't want that, right? That would look bad. So they have to contact right. them. So if we're controlling the sheriff, then when they contact the sheriff, who's one of us, the sheriff is going to let us know what's going on, right? And this isn't some secret. This isn't like I'm letting out some secret and, oh, my God, don't say that on the radio, right? This is something that right. Jews do. This is something all groups do. This is what whites need to do. This is this is what power is. Uh, well, not that, but we, we tell Jews brag about it all the time, or, or even Muslims. They say, we're going to come in there, and we're going to take over your shit, and then we're going to have all these babies, and then we're going to groom your daughters, and, and do everything we can to wipe you out. We're taking we're taking over your shit. But yet, if we have white people even say, "Well, look at that, look at that guy up there in the Dakotas or whatever, Montana, whatever, that was buying up that town and trying to make it for pro whites," and then they they did a whole documentary on it, attacking this guy and trying to find ways to throw him in jail. It's like, oh, well, the Muslims can take over Dearborn, Michigan, and nobody says shit. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Craig Cobb, and that was a good documentary. Uh, I was somewhat friendly with Craig Cobb on BNN years ago, and I used to listen to a show he did with Alex Linder and another guy, Aegis, I think he called himself. Um, but, yeah, the, the, this is the sort of stuff that they, you know, this is what power is. And if we, we keep saying white pride, white power, but, but nobody knows what it means. They think, it, you know, white white pride or white power means you know, getting together with a bunch of people and going out and fighting a bunch of Antifa fags in the street. That does absolutely nothing for our cause. Nothing. Not, it doesn't help white people in, in one iota. It doesn't help us at all. Uh, what we need is for serious, sober men, and maybe even a few women, to gain power, right, to move into positions of power in local communities and take them over. It doesn't take a lot. I live in a town that's about 2,000 people in it. Uh, we have a select board of five people. So if three of us were on the select board, that would mean we we run the town. Then we can appoint ourselves. We can give ourselves all the good jobs, right? We can give ourselves the, the job of police chief. We have a small police force here. I think it's got like four people on the force, right? So we can mm -hmm. give ourselves the job of police chief plus the three other officers. Uh, we can give ourselves the job of, of um, town clerk, uh, town treasurer, tax assessor, right? all these paying jobs, a town manager, right? We can. So it's it's a way. It's what every group does. It, it's it's how power works, right? You just name yourselves to the positions of power. You give yourselves those positions, and then basically what you're doing is you're taking the taxpayers' money from them and giving it to yourself. Right? People, especially white people, Arianists, uh, conservatives, we say, oh well, you know, I don't want anybody taxing me. Right, you don't want anybody taxing you. What you want to do is be the one taxing them. Right, that's what you fucking want. That's what power is. Right? We're going to right, tax the normies. Fact, yeah. We're going to tax the, the Democrats, and we're going to take their money and we're going to give it to ourselves. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. It's how power works. Right. right. Look in Yellowstone when John Denton becomes uh, governor of Montana. What's one thing he says is like, well, those people you either need to come here and live here, but if you're going to vacation here, we're going to tax the shit out of you. 
make sure that you can't basically just, you know, come and go and expect to do what you want to please. You either want to be here, you stay here. If not, we're going to hit you, and we're going to get you out. I mean, that's the whole idea is make sure if you want to come to Montana, be Montanans. If you come here to be, you know, snowbirds or or, or whatever, then then we're going to make it very uncomfortable for you. And that's the way it should be. I mean, this equal housing opportunity and equal opportunity employer bullshit's got to go away because all that is rooted in anti-whiteism. When you look at behind who pulled the strings to get these, these policies implemented, again, there's always a fucking two-legged rat behind it. <laughs> yeah, it's... I just wish that that people in our movement, and more of them are understanding it, so it's good. Right? There's, there are more people understanding what white power, what power really is. Right? Let's just take power. Let's stop talking silly. Let's stop talking foolish. Let's grow up. Let's understand how the world really works, and let's just take it for ourselves. Then, if we want some pie in the sky, some beautiful, uh, you know, paradise, some <clears throat> some utopia, we can create that when we have power. But Thinking about doing that first is putting the cart before the horse. Let's get power first, and then we'll decide how, what kind of world we want. As long as white people are chasing power, they will get power, and because we're just we're the most powerful people, we're naturally we're natural authorities. We just we are superior to everybody else. Nobody can stop us. The only way they can stop us is by running these mind fucks on us right, and convincing us that there's something wrong with us and we're racist and we're sexist and we should just lie down and die, right? They can't actually beat us in a fair fight. So start fighting back, white people, right? There's an old saying, the world belongs to those who show up, right? Show up, right? Show up at parent-teacher association meetings or parent-teacher organization meetings, whatever the hell they're calling them today, right? Show up at your local select board. Get involved, right? People will say, oh, we can't vote our way out of this. Voting doesn't work. Well, it works for the fucking Jews. Why can't we make it work for us, right? The Jews mm-hmm. want yeah, democracy because right. democracy is the best way to control the mass of people. So we want you know, democracy you know, because guy, we want to control that was, mass of people. The, the guy that was running for second. We just have to show up. Uh, the, uh, I forget what the guy's name was. He, he's dead now, but his slogan was, "With Jews we lose. So, I mean, I thought that was actually pretty powerful, but he was dead on, and he kept getting uh, kicked out of debates and shit. At the, at the universities and stuff, he's like, I'm a legitimate senatorial candidate. I have every right to be to be present here. So, I mean, you know, interesting thing about that was is the fact that uh, you're talking about power. It's like, how is this any different than some, some upstart guy starts a business and decides to move to a town and say, you know, I'm going to try to employ all you people and, and, and uh, to work in my business. Next thing you know, you've got the beginnings of a Henry Ford or, a, you know, uh, Charles Kettering is, who started – who built the uh, – the starter for cars. He started Delco Electronics with that. I mean, again, he became a major employer, and then as he, he took a lot of his wealth, and in this particular case, he, he invested it in the Kettering Hospital, which is one of the uh, uh, one of the main hospital networks on here, unfortunately, but they're also known for a lot of their, uh, their cancer stuff. So, I mean, he created something not only while he was here and garnered a lot of power and influence, but he also left something to strengthen his legacy. I mean, look at Danny Thomas, who was actually an Iranian guy who was an actor back in the 50s, and he decided to start the um, the St. Jude's uh, Hospital. Uh, trying to figure out why kids are getting cancer, and he was trying to find a way to fight it and then get people to, to put money into it so that the uh, the uh, the uh, 
patients and their families would have to pay for it. You know, that was a big, bold vision. But nowadays, it's like everybody knows who St. Jude's Hospital is. They may know Marlo Thomas, but who the fuck is Danny Thomas? Who is he? See, nobody cares. Nobody knows who that guy was. But he took what power and influence he had at the time, and he created something that lasts. He created a brand. And so that's one thing you need to do, too, is that we need to look at that as well because of the fact that we need to start going. I've, I've been preaching about this uh, for a long time. I've also uh, been writing down some lists because I'm going to start hitting a lot of city councils and township meeting halls and stuff and start saying, hey, there's an invasion in this country. And if we don't get control over uh, the hierarchy of this government, we're going to have a serious, serious fucking problem here. And we're going to have all sorts of crimes and our children come up missing and all sorts of shit going on. We're going to start seeing people coming in. Our housing values are going to crash. They're going to uh, be forced to put these people in there. We're going to have multiple families in one house. I mean, you don't think it's going to happen in, you know, uh, uh, in some of these towns like Chillicothe or Springboro or Inglewood, but the shit's going to happen, man. It's already starting. And so at least as we start speaking up now, People won't be so shocked when it actually starts. They start saying, like, hey, wait a minute. We got the family living down here. Now we got a whole Hispanic family living up here. What the fuck? I mean, especially when no one teaches the younger generation to say, hey, this is your grandpa's house, okay? You should keep it in the family, especially if it's paid off. You know, your grandparents yeah, exactly. <laughs> worked their whole life and the rest of their retirement to make sure this house is paid off and that since your parents don't want it, it's it's your responsibility to take over the house now and, and, and have your children go up in there. I mean, how many historical figures have we seen, Russell, where these people were born in these houses or, or born in a familiar house where we've had three generations born in this home? I mean, that's a legacy for that family, dude. And if they don't have more children because they've been self that hate them that hate themselves or uh, decide not to, you know, marry within their own group, Next thing they start marrying darkies. They don't have any children at all. Even worse, they get murdered because a black guy kills the fucking white woman. Then guess what? All that legacy that those ancestors put together is now gone, wiped out. All that hard work, poof, overnight. Yeah, you touched on something there about keeping grandpa's house. That's that is an extremely important economic principle that we should teach our children. Is, you know, don't. Don't let go of real estate. Hold on to it. it. It doesn't make any sense to to buy a new house every seven years and have to re-up with the banksters and, 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 and give them 50% of your paycheck month in and month out, right? If you Not live in a that, house that, that if you, you live in a house to, that's paid for. You have to make for, sure that you have the, the deed is actually there. Like I said, I mentioned uh, uh, Kate Daly's show from, uh, I think it's May 28th here on Resolution Radio. She talks with this guy and says specifically, most people don't realize, probably since the 1930s, most people think that they're paying the mortgage off, they own all the property. No, you only own the house. You don't own the land because they took that away from you. But it's very simple to get it back. But they don't tell you this when you're signing all the fucking, all the loan payments and shit because they word it in a certain way. So technically you become a tenant on their land, even though you own the house. So you got to make sure that the actual deed is not just for the house, but also for the land. And, and the mineral rights that also go in there as well. I mean, a lot with the whole Bundy Ranch situation. 
but it was also about mineral rights and everything that that, that uh, family's owned for well over a century. So, again, people need to really look up the stuff because of the fact that paying our houses off, busting our ass every day, doing nine to five, you know, 52 weeks a year to find out that 30 years later, oh, good, my, I've got my last house payment. Oh, yeah, I can sit back and relax. No, dude, because they can steal that shit right off Monday. If you've ever seen the movie, I think it's, um, oh, God, was that the franchise where uh, Michael Keaton plays uh, Roy Cro- or, uh, Ray Kroc and basically uh, no, steals the concept no. of McDonald's? Yeah, he steals a concept of McDonald's from his two brothers and says, realizes, like, no, you're not in the franchise business. You're in the real estate business. In other words, who gives a damn about the McDonald's building that sits on it? You own the real estate. And so he became, he realized that that's what the power is. Just like uh, I was listening to 55 KRC and Jerry Thomas is on there for a long time and his son Brian uh, does the show now. But he come back on to tell Brian while he was on vacation. He says, you know, when I first came to Cincinnati, somehow I got on the zoning commission. And I learned very quickly that the real power in any municipality is who's on the zoning commission because they decide winners and losers. If you need a permit for that construction place, guess what? If you're on their side, hey, man. Just pay 150 bucks, you're good to go. If I don't know you, I don't like you, you're paying $15,000 for the same fucking permit. Yeah, power is a funny thing. There's a, there's a great book on the Colchester Collection called Plunkett of Tammany Hall, uh, which talks about the, the guy that, um, that ran the, uh, the Irish rackets, uh, the, the, the Tammany Hall, the, the, the Democrat Irish um, New York City, right? And he ran the whole thing. And uh, the book's written by a guy named William Riordan, and it's a, basically it, it's the form of a conversation with Plunkett. And Plunkett tells him what power is, how power works, right? He says, yeah, uh, the Anglos, you know, the Anglo-Saxons, the, the, the wasps that were here that used to have power, they hate me because I've taken power from them. And, you know, they, they say that I'm corrupt. And, but, but the people, the Irish people of New York, they love me, right? They think I'm their savior, and I am. I do corrupt things from the perspective of the Jews or the wasps because I'm crushing them and I'm taking their shit all the time. And I'll do it in any way that I can, cheat, lie, steal. Mm -hmm. But when it comes Mm -hmm. to my people, I take care of my people. I take shit from the enemy and I give it to my people. That doesn't mean I'm corrupt. That means I'm the good guy. And and that's how we need to look at it. We need to take America back from these invaders and and give it back to our people. yeah, it's just like the movie Gangs in New York. You know, Bill the Butcher talks about how do you, how he keeps power. It's all about fear. You know, if uh, if, if someone uh, offends me, you know, I cut his tongue out. If he steals from me, I cut his hands off. You know, if uh, he he goes against me, I, I I cut his head off and put it on a spike. So everybody know that don't fuck with me. And you can clearly see in that particular situation that it was the natives against the immigrants. So basically, the natives are the Irish that were already born there. And they were going against the Irish that were coming in, especially in 1846, because that was the time of the famine. So, I mean, you know, uh, they're basically saying, hey, man, we're Americans. You guys are invaders. Get the fuck out, you know. And had a big old a big old battle over it and shit. And uh, the dude got killed. And, of course, uh, the, you know, Bill the Butcher ruled that shit for a long time. Well, it's interesting at the end of the film is that once they all died, and time went on, they were completely forgotten about. You can see as, as New York grows and turns into a big city, and then boom, you, by the time you, you, you even see the uh, Empire State Building, you can't even see the graves anymore. 
and then by the time they shoot the, the World Trade Center up, the headstones are gone. So basically, all the shit that they've done before didn't matter now. Their base have been blown away in, in, in the breeze of history. And that's going to happen to us if we don't start stepping up and not only get control of that and get power of it, but make damn sure that it stays there. We've got to teach the young the consequences of what's going to happen when they don't step up, when you don't uh, pick a, a good woman to marry and have children with and uh, to look out for each other, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to turn into a tumbleweed and blow away in the wind. Yeah, I want to my, – my focus is obviously the cultural stuff, the metapolitical stuff, the, the, the learning, the education, right, teaching people, the books, the videos, um, podcasts. That, that's my – that's the thing I do. But the goal is to create a foundation so that we can have Aryan identity and Aryan community again, right? And use that Aryan identity and community to create a living culture rather than just a, a, a sort of educational culture, but an, an actual uh, people doing things in the real world, a real culture where we, we get together and, and we, you know, we can have like little concerts in a little um, town plaza or uh, we maybe put on plays or have dances and have a, have a real culture, have, have what we used to have before the Jews stole everything from us, right? We want to take all of that back, and we want to create this Aryan culture, and then we want to use the Aryan culture to create an, an, an Aryan marketplace and, and economics. And then we want to use all of those things, combine all of those things, to take power back. Right? We want to move people into positions of power. It's, it's, we've, we've, we've both said it like 15 times in the last half an hour or so, but right. it's just so easy to do. You just move into these positions of power, you get somebody elected to the select board in these small towns, or again, the school board or the county commission, <clears throat> or you get them appointed to to a town manager or town clerk. This gives you tremendous, as you were talking about, uh, in these small towns, all of the boards, right, the local boards for the town, are they're, mm -hmm. they're volunteers. And they're all empty. They can't get enough volunteers. You can just show up and be the one or maybe one of two people that's on the zoning board, like you were just saying earlier. And then you have all the power of the zoning board. It's, it's much harder to do in a big city, but it's very, very easy to do in a small town. Right? White yeah. people need to move out to small towns, take them over. Fifteen or 20 people can easily run and completely dominate a town of 500 or 1,000 people. Right? Completely take it over so that those 15 or 20 Aryans are doing what 15 or 20 Jews would normally do, right? They move into a white community, and they take it over. Right? They, they, they get control of the, the town's money, and they start making deals, and they start developing properties. And I'm not saying that we're going to develop properties and stuff. We will, but when we do that, we'll do it in the right way. It won't be about making money. It'll be about you know, developing the community the way it needs to be developed. But there are many, many things we could do. I'll give you a good, give your, your listeners a, a good example, right? That okay. um, if we got involved, if in this town that I live in of 2,000 people, if three of us got elected to the select board, um, we could make all the decisions for the town. If a handful of us went to the, lo the, the church in town, the big church in town, there's about 20 churches in this town, but the big church is a is the church that was built by the founding peoples of this town. Um, 
uh, the first uh, pastor of the church was a man, a man named James Lyons. He's famous for writing a, a hymn that is still sung in churches today. Uh, but he was also a black robe uh, pastor, and you know, he was one of the, the leaders of the revolution as a pastor. And he was the first yeah, the pastor of this the church. Brigade, yeah. yeah, he's a really a very interesting guy. And he um, bequeathed to this town this massive, this huge church, right, that has – um, I don't know, it seats 700, 800 people or something. It's got this tall spire with a with a bell in it. Uh, it. It sits on about an acre and a half of land right in the smack dead center of town. It's the tallest building by far in town. It has a weather vane on it that's probably worth about a million dollars or something. I don't even think they know that. But it only has about 35 people that attend the church on a regular basis, right? So... 35, 40 of us could start attending that church, and we could just take the church over. We could just vote ourselves into all the positions of power in the church, right? And then with three of us running the town, we could sell that church to the town for, you know, a couple, three million dollars. And then we'd have that money as operating capital, right? But we'd still Mm -hmm. also own the church because we would sell it under the idea that the church was originally the town's meeting hall, belongs to the town anyway, and we have a right to still hold our religious sessions there in the church, right? So... We would still do – everything would run exactly the way it was. We would still be running the church. We would still be running the, the, the food pantry out of the church. We'd still be doing all the stuff that the church does, only we will have taken 3 or 4 or $5 million from the town's taxpayers that we can now use to fight the Jew, right? Yeah. And you can do that in a billion ways. You can just keep doing this over, and there's millions of ways to do this. It's very easy to do. It's not hard. White people need to stop thinking in terms of, yeah, I'm going to go out on the, you know, when I say white people, I mean pro-white people, I mean Aryans, I mean those of us who know, white nationalists, whatever you want to call them, right, national socialists, whatever you want to call them, right, I like to call them Aryans, so I'm going to call them that, right, Aryans need to, to pull their heads out of their asses, stop worrying about fighting fucking faggoty cross-dresses on the streets, and that, that stuff is boring, and it doesn't do anything for us, right, we need to stop right. worrying about, you know, when the balloon goes up, when Jesus comes back to save us, or whatever crazy thing we do, and just start engaging and taking power every day. It's a simple thing to do. Get together with half a dozen friends and just take power in your local community. The last thing I want to say about that is there's this woman, um, Phyllis Schlafly. You probably know who she is. Yes. She's like Rest the grand peace. dame of, of conservatism, right? She uh, yeah, used to have this, this great radio program. She's a paleoconservative, and right up until yeah. her 80s, she was very active. Um, yeah. And she used to say all the time that the single most powerful position in America is precinct captain. Right? The precinct yeah. captain is the guy who's in control of counting the votes. Right? Now, precincts in America average something like uh, 1,000 to maybe 1,500 constituents which means um, that during a presidential election, not all of those constituents can vote for various reasons, and only about 50% of the registered voters actually show up. So if the average precinct is 1,500 people, that means you might actually get about 600 people that come and vote. So you are the captain of those votes. You can count those votes. It doesn't matter if you have a Dominion machine. It doesn't matter. You can simply say, okay, I think the machine is not doing its job right. I think it's fucked up. So we're going to hand count the votes. And then you hand count it to your vol- – you, you give the you know, chunks of these votes to your volunteers, and each one of those volunteers counts the, the votes, right? And it only takes about an hour to count all the votes in a precinct, right? It doesn't take long to count votes. There's thousands of precincts across America. 
the precinct captain determines who's going to win that precinct's vote, who's going to get the majority, because they're counting them. And as we all know, it's not the voters that matter. It's the people that count the votes that matter. So if you want power, just become a local precinct captain. All you have to do is get involved in your local county um, uh, party commission, whether if you live in a Republican county, get involved in the Republican commission. If you live in a Democrat uh, county, then get involved with the Democrat commission. And then volunteer to be a a poll worker. uh, And then work your way up after an election or two or three. It's not hard to do. There's not a lot of people that want to do these jobs. They're very easy to get and to take, right? And become the precinct captain. And then you control the voting process in your precinct. Yeah, I I was in the Warren County uh, GOP for a number of years. And, uh, the last two or three, my last two or three terms, I ran as a pro-white, pro-pagan um, candidate. It says specifically that he, I, I even had a laminated sheet of what I accomplished in there and the things I proposed and, and, and my general values. And it says specifically, it's like, look, I'm pagan. You know, I'm a heathen. I, I respect my nomadic Germanic gods, you know. But that doesn't mean I'm going to look down on Christians. If anything, it means that... <laughs> I'm just trying to help you out because of the fact that Christians aren't doing their job. They keep turning the other cheek where I'm like, okay, you smack me, I smash you, you know. I mean, my philosophy is I felt like Ron Paul. I was like, Dr. No. You know, many times I was a sole name vote in there. But I, the few times I was able to speak, I was able to bring up some stuff like specifically like I was pushing to recognize gold and silver as legitimate currency in a great sovereign state of Ohio for all debts, public and private. We should have our own bullion depository in Columbus. You know, we should always be able to have Buckeye notes. So if the currency were to collapse, at least we could create our own currency and still have a viability as a state. And people are looking at me like, I was fucking crazy. And some people come in afterwards, like at the Lincoln Day dinner, and go, man, did, did, did you really support that? I'm like, absolutely. So, dude, we were a sovereign state when we joined this fucking union. Why, are, why aren't we still? I said, we had seven presidents come from the state more than anybody else. We are the Mac Daddy. We should act accordingly. I mean, why is Texas so far ahead of us on many issues? We should be leading Texas. And so people liked my general attitude, and if anything, some of them are threatened because of the fact that I was passionate about these issues. But every time I try to bring up some stuff, you know, most people rubber stamp all this shit. They wouldn't always let us debate about anything, raise any questions. Um, matter of fact, I was trying – well, I found about an anti uh, uh, trying to stop these red flag laws they were trying to push up in Columbus, and my own chairman is actually not only an attorney, but he was actually uh, an owner of a gun shop here in Lebanon. And I'm sitting there going, "Dude, what the fuck? You of all people run a gun shop? Why aren't you pushing to get our our members up there to support our Second Amendment rights?" I mean, the fact I said, even if you want to take off all my rhetoric on the email that I sent and just post the event. But he didn't either. He wouldn't post my fucking version or just the event itself. And I'm sitting there going, man, this guy's a completely controlled puppet. And I see it too many times. Like, the people who's in coots with hoots with and stuff, they would come in there and have slates. I'm going, who are these people? All these are the people you approve, right? Well, okay, fine. If you're going to have slates, then we need to have three slates. Because I saw in East Germany through Harold Zeger, how they controlled the elections was they had two slates completely controlled by the state. And, and here's the interesting difference. If you didn't vote, Russell, they come to your house, beat the shit out of you, drag you to the fucking polls, and make you vote. 
so it looked like they had a democratic system in place. <laughs> now, can you imagine that? We're, you know, the Democrats are trying to get out the vote, make sure you get to the polls. They get this thing going out that they want half to fucking bust kneecaps and shit and fucking get people there. They will have the uniparty. They literally don't have to vote for themselves, and they're in. And that is completely authoritarian rule. And these Republicans won't do a fucking thing about it because they're too milk toast. All you got to do is call them racist, and they, they squirm and squeal and try to defend why they're not why they're not the label you just labeled them. Me, I would go, yeah, I yeah, am they, fucking racist. When I when I got some guy yeah, they, up there telling me that I can't do this, I can't do that because I'm white. Well, of course, because I'm fucking racist. Because being accused of shit that doesn't matter. That used to be the norm since the founding of this country. Now you're telling me I have tradition values. Oh, I must be racist. Okay. Well, if that's what you're labeling me, then then fuck, I'm a racist. I believe in the founding principles of this country. I believe the simple fact that I don't give a damn what color you are. If you come to my country and you follow my rules, there's an opportunity for you here. As long as you don't turn into a pirate piece of shit or a you know a uh, uh, a megalomaniac or try try to run try to be a, a run a monopoly. You know. You come to my country and you play by my rules and you mind your own business, you don't get involved in my shit, I, I welcome you. But at the same stroke, it's like I'm not going to run for office and compromise my people to make you feel better about yourself or, oh, I'm going to bow down and, and genuflect a, a handful of blacks because they don't like the fact that I won't stand up for them. Well, fuck you, dude. I'm not going to compromise my base to appease your demands. You can go take a, take a go, uh, you know, go kite and go fuck yourself. I mean, we have to have that attitude. That's one of the things I like about Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, just the other day they were talking about, well, what about this with Trump? It's like, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's bullshit. I mean, she she don't hold it back, dude. But the same circle going, good job for Lauren Boebert, Taylor Greene. Good job for some of these other women. But why is it our women are have to go to Congress and fight for our fucking shit? Where the fuck are our men folk, dude? They're milk-toast, panty-waist motherfuckers that won't stand up. Either they're too easily corrupted. Or they get easily blackmailed. I mean, you could just be with your intern out there at lunch talking about, hey, man, we got to get this bill going. I need you to help me get the language together. Just the fact you're out there having lunch with your intern, they want to make it look like there's some hanky-panky going on. They take a photo and go, oh, look, Mrs. James, Russell is out here with, with uh, Sarah. What do you think's going on there? And then all you have to do is put that seed of doubt in your wife's mind, and next thing you know, it's like, oh, what the fuck? Now, she knows you better than that. She's like, dude, that's fucking Sarah. There ain't no bullshit going on there. And then call them on it. But that's how these guys get started. They go and they just go to their photograph and say, oh, what's this or what's that? And they try to divide and conquer the family, and next thing you know, the wife doesn't support what the husband's doing. And then some of these guys are milk toast, and they go, oh, happy wife, happy life. And they, they bow down to their wife's demands. Fuck that, you know? I'm sick of these guys going, oh, I'm going to go home and talk to my wife about it first, make sure she's okay with it. Fuck that. I'm like, you know what? You don't like a bitch, you sleep on the fucking couch. You know, that's my attitude. Yeah. These guys yeah, far too many, to each other's wives. Yeah, and, and, far and too many men today 
white men in particular just they they use their wives, they use their children as shields, they use them as crutches, yeah. they use them to hide behind, right? They they don't want to make any commitments, they don't want to do something, they don't want to do any work, it's too inconvenient. So they, they have all these fucking excuses about their wives and their children. It's been going on a long time. I mean, I remember even back in the 80s and 90s, you'd get some guy who was your boss, right? And, and he'd do stupid shit trying to, to appease his bosses, right, the owners of the company. And the little yeah. middle, middle manager guy would be a complete cocksucker, cunt selling out the workers, and when you, you'd confront him on it, he'd say, oh, well, you know, i got a family to think about. And I said to one of them one time, I said, so do you want your sons to grow up knowing that their father is, is a fucking sellout little cunt? I mean, yeah, is that, that, yeah. Yeah, that's how you think <laughs> about your family? That, you know, you, you, people shouldn't be allowed to use their families as an excuse. And this is this is a whole other discussion, and so I'm not going to start it now. We've been going for a while here, right. but... Uh, maybe in, in the future we should have this talk about the one simple rule to rule them all, which is simply to outlaw employment. Right? The Jew, in one way or another, gets all of his power from employment. The entire banking system right, is based on the idea of employment. If people can't work, Right? They can't pay back their debt, so people have to have jobs. That's why Republicans are always talking about jobs, jobs, jobs. Fuck jobs, right? We don't need jobs. We need work, but we don't well, need that's jobs. What the whole right? We need to, we need to work for ourselves. We need to be self-reliant. If you outlaw employment, you make it illegal for one man to employ another. Because after all, employment is just wage slavery. It's a form of slavery, and it's much worse than good old-fashioned right. chattel slavery. Much worse, right? Outlaw right. employment, and every single problem in society goes away overnight. You can't have any of these things. You can't have Jewish power because you can't have banking. You can't have corporations. You can't have communism. You can't have feminism. You can't have multicultural. I won't go into why, but anybody could think about it for a few minutes and see why all these things would just collapse. They, they right. all depend on jobs. They all depend on the economy. They all depend on wage slavery. Without wage slavery, none of this stuff could happen. Let's just outlaw employment. We can solve all our problems overnight. Well, not only that, but that's what the suffragette movement was all about. It was to divide the houses because the, the menfolk were the, actually the, the patriarchs of the family, so they made most of the decisions, right? And it's not to say that you don't respect your wife and appreciate your thing. I mean, obviously, John and Abigail Adams were a phenomenal team together. And behind every great man is a great woman, you know. I mean, any historical leader, if if he was married and had, a, a, for the most part, probably had a damn good supporting wife who encouraged them, supported them, and, and, and nurtured them when necessary, you know, because that's what mothers do. It's not, not just their own children, but they're supposed to support the men. But the real big thing is, is the fact that they made sure they got the women out in the workplace. Oh, let's liberate them. Let them smoke. Let them cut their hair and, and do all this other shit that they want to do. And the next thing you know, uh, they start doing all sorts of crazy shit in the 20s. And the next thing you know, you got now you got half the population you can tax on top, instead of just the other half. And then once you get them out in the workplace, guess what? Now we got the kids in schools. Now we can get our hands in them and indoctrinate them. Yeah. So we've got them. We've nailed them. So that's a divide and conquer an entire family is make the get the wife to want to work and want to vote. And, and of course, most women are going to vote Democrat because they usually vote on an emotional level, where men mostly vote on on a logical level. You know, and and uh, 
and then they get the kids out, and then they get involved, and they get indoctrinated, peer pressure, whatever. Nowadays, it's worse with social media and all these devices. Someone says a nasty comment on your picture, now the kids want to commit suicide over it. So, I mean, that's the crazy <laughs> shit that goes on in the man. Yeah, it is a crazy world we live in, and uh, I mean that's another subject we should talk about another time. Is the 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 whole you know male female dynamic and 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 you know the way that that um, you know relationships don't last and can't work because because of feminism, right? It's it's a poison pill. It's a yeah. pill that they force down the throat of women, force down the throat of society, and it's just it's it's poisoning and, and destroying uh, relationships. It's destroying families. Uh, and it was designed to do that. It was never about making women equal to men because that's impossible. Men and women aren't the same. They're not equal. There isn't any social policy ever thought of that ever will be thought of that can make men and women equal. Right? The Jews know that. They're not dumb. They know that there's no way to make women equal to men. And Jews hate women. They don't want them to be equal anyway. Right? I mean, right. Judaism is all about the hatred of women. Right? Women are unclean, according to Judaism. Right? It's just but a poison pill. It's just a way of destroying white civilization. When you do get women out there in, in the, the political arena and stuff, I mean, many of them have inspired me over the years, uh, you know, some locally, uh, some nationally, you know. And, and not that, but, you know, it, let's just say if I had a wife, and if she wanted to go out and actually say, you know what, I really feel strong about this issue, honey. I want to stand up for this. I'm going to run for the school board. I'm going to run for that. Absolutely. Support your fucking wife. I'm not going to say, oh, no, bitch, you're going to overshadow me. Fuck that. You know, if, if my wife was able to have a better job or a better opportunity or she wants to run for office because she thinks she might be able to make a difference, absolutely it, it support her. Go out there. I'll be stuffing the envelopes and going door to door and say, yeah, my wife is running for this. And, you know, I have no problem with that. But this this bullshit where you got to go, oh, I'm going to go home and ask my wife if I can go buy that car. Fuck all that shit, man. You know, I mean, seriously, if anything, you would have an arrangement already set up like, hey, honey, there's certain – I want us to have certain things divided, either 50-50 or some things. I'm going to have chief decision on another thing. I want you to have chief decision on. Lay those parameters out right away. Now, for some things that might overlap a little bit, like, hey, you know, uh, this thing worked. We might have to dive a little bit in our savings to get this going, or I really want to get this project. Or I, got, I, I really got this dream. Or if she wants to run for office, like, you know how much it's going to cost. We'll have to dip in our savings because you're going to have to buy all this shit and, and uh, do all this stuff. Then you come together and you work on things and say, okay, We'll have to bite the bullet, and hopefully you win. Uh, but if not, at least you, at least you can get your ideas out there. You know, there's you got to have a positive attitude about these things. But if your wife decides she's going to go run for office for school board, city council, because she thinks maybe she's got experience, like hey, you know, I've got 20 years in real estate, or I got 20 years of of accounting, or I got 20 years of education, I can make a difference in these settings because I can bring that real-world experience into the fold, then support your wife. But if you're going to do it, I would assume your wife would support you. Like, hey, you know what? I'm going to run for city council. Now, that being said, I don't want to see couples running for fucking office together. I, I saw it here. We had a state senator that was in office. Her husband was trying to run for trans, uh, township trustee. I'm like, nah, that's too much back-scratching going on there. That is That smells of potential corruption, you know? If one of them is in office, the other one stays out. Because otherwise, it's, to me, it's a conflict of interest, you know? Yeah, the, I mean, 
if we're, if we're going to return to, to traditional values, if, if we're going to have lots of children, which we need to do, I mean, that's one of the major things about, you know, one of the major planks, one of the major weapons, I guess I should say, of, of how to fight this war is since there's so few of us, we need to be having, you know, so few Aryans, pro-white, right? We need to be having lots of children to counter the fact that there's so few of us, to grow our population base. And we're going to do that, have, have lots of children, and that means we have to return to traditional values. And it, and it means that there has to be somebody at home to watch the children. So these, the, the, one of the worst things the Jew has ever done to us is convinced us that dreams are everything. We have to, we have to fulfill our dreams, right? You, you, you weren't put on this earth to fulfill a dream, right? You were put on this earth to propagate your genetics. That's it. That's the whole point of being here. There's, there's nothing. There's no other reason, right? You're supposed to have yep. children, teach them well, and love them. That's it. All the rest of it is just a waste of a life. If you don't do that, and I'm a failure in life. I'm 55 years old. I never had kids, right? Uh, I'm, so I'm mm. one of these failures, right? So I'm not putting people down. I'm just saying that's just logically, if you examine it, you can get to this an understanding that this is what it's all about. And we need to return to that. We need to quit stuffing people up, especially women and non-whites, that everything is about their dreams, right? Well, what about our dreams? How come white men's dreams never seem to matter to anybody? Right? Uh, the fact of the matter is our dreams don't matter, and neither do yours. Right? Stop dreaming and start right. living your life. Mm-hmm. All right, brother. We're getting ready to run out of here, so I want to appreciate you. Everybody go to colchestercollection.com and check out what he does. You can also follow him at One Base Brother on Gab. And uh, he's got links to his other uh, websites on it as well. So I appreciate you coming on, my friend. All right. It was great to be on again, Sonny. Had a good time. All right. Have a good night. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Okay. So we're going to close tonight with uh, Johnny Cash, Ragged Old Flag. Salam to I walked through a county courthouse square on a park bench. An old man was sitting there. I said, your old courthouse is kind of run down. He said, no, it'll do for our little town. I said, your old flagpole has leaned a little bit, and that's a ragged old flag you got hanging on it. He said, have a seat, and I sat down. Is this the first time you've been to our little town? I said, I think it is. He said, I don't like to brag, but we're kind of proud of that ragged old flag. You see, we got a little hole in that flag there when Washington took it across the Delaware. And it got powder burned the night that Francis Scott Key sat watching it right and say, can you see? And it got a bad rip in New Orleans with Packingham and Jackson tugging at its seams. And it almost fell at the Alamo. Beside the Texas flag, but she waved on, though. She got cut with a sword at Chancellorsville, and she got cut again at Shiloh Hill. There was Robert E. Lee, Beauregard, and Bragg, and the south wind blew hard on that ragged old flag. On Flanders Field in World War I, she got a big hole from a Bertha gun. She turned blood red in World War II. She hung limp and low a time or two. She was in Korea, Vietnam. She went where she was sent, 
by her Uncle Sam. She waved from our ships upon the briny foam, and now they've about quit waving back here at home. In her own good land here, she's been abused. She's been burned, dishonored, denied, and refused. And the government for which she stands is scandalized throughout the land. And she's getting threadbare and she's wearing thin, but she's in good shape for the shape she's in. Cause she's been through the fire before. And I believe she can take a whole lot more. So we raise her up every morning. We take her down every night. We don't let her touch the ground and we fold her upright. On second thought, I do like to brag. Cause I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag. Oh. 